You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 553. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 3B at the Hotel Vermont in Burlington. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of January, Episode Dozens die in an airline crash in Nepal. Two stowaways die in the landing gear compartment of an Avianca jet. More news, your feedback, and today's plain tale RAF Form 414, Volume 19. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 553 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an airline and aviation, mostly aviation podcast, covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining us today from her lakeside studio in South She's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, shrink training, junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's Dr. Steph. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It is. Um, but I am back to strength training, so I guess we have to leave that in there. So. Hey, okay. um, glad to be here. And I just um, want to make it known that this is two in a row for me. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that yeah. deserves. Yay. Yay. Self-congratulatory right. for me. Yeah. Like, put We're yourself happy. up there on that pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Steph. Woo. All right. Also joining us from his studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Macho Camacho Man. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm here for two in a row also. Yeah. Oh, it's a very okay. weird situation. Steph's here multiple times. I'm here multiple times. Woo! Rick's not here. <laughs> we don't know where don't Rick know is. Who? Yeah. That's a little more normal. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did this la- uh, just the last show, actually. We did. <laughs> All right. We like doing it. <laughs> a place to stand, a place to grow. Mm. Uh, from her studio <laughs> in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier, financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hey, I feel like we need congratulations for Liz, too. I mean, I know we do. Oh, that oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Liz, I think this is like a 50 in a row. Yeah. She was yeah. like, yeah. Yes. I mean, she's, oh, yeah. Been, oh, she's that. definitely got the winning streak, I think, going on. Mm. Well, I don't know. Nick's oh. pretty close. Nick, hey. Yeah. Well, Nick. Nick's not. Where's Nick? He's um, skating Nick into Captain. home base. Oh, he's skating the on the roads. Yes. Uh, I'm sure roads. I'm sure he'll tell us all about it when he arrives, but we're not going to wait around for that guy because nah. 
we need to talk a little bit about aviation news. So um, here we go. See you later, guys. All right. See you, Liz. Stand by for news. All right. Our first item is uh, kind of breaking news. It just happened, I don't know, yesterday or maybe earlier this morning. Um, it is. This is from the CBC.ca. Uh, dozens killed after Nepal plane crashes during landing. Uh, the uh, Yeti Airlines Avions de Transport Regional ATR 72212A, registration 9 November Alpha November Charlie, performing flight 691 from Kathmandu to Pokhara, uh, Nepal, with 68 passengers and four crew, was on final approach to the international airport in uh, Pokhara, um, runway 12, when the aircraft stalled, impacted the ground between the old Pokhara and new Pokhara International Airport, fell into a ravine and burst into flames about 1.12 nautical miles ahead of the runway threshold at about 11.05, 11.05 local time. Uh, let me play the video associated with this. It's a pretty, pretty interesting uh, video, especially the very first part of it. Okay, there's an airplane coming in. The ATR looks slow and crashes. Now we're looking down at this guy's foot. He's probably thinking, where do I need to go? This thing is coming right at me. I wish he had kept his camera up, but I guess it was behind the house there, so you wouldn't have been able to see anything anyway. And so we're going to see some footage of the uh, recovery efforts, and I'm going to go ahead and turn the volume down on this. And then I'm going to go back to Evernote and read on on um, January, 20, or January 16th. That's still too loud, isn't it? Turn that down. Um, all right. Um, on January 16th, 2023, uh, the CAAN reported 66 bodies have been recovered so far. In the afternoon, local Nepal time, the um, agency added that 69 bodies have been recovered. 41 have been identified so far. Um, on January 16th, 2023, the NRCC reported the flight data recorder has been recovered from the crash site and been forwarded to the uh, Nepalese army, which is going to hand the black box over to the investigation team. 35 of the 66 bodies have been identified. Well, we just learned from the earlier paragraph that more have been identified than that. Um, Nepal's government assigned an accident investigation commission and the, uh, hang on, let me make sure I have this, the French, um, their investigation uh, commission is going to participate in the investigation. And it says here uh, that the new international airport there in Pokhara uh, was open on January 1st, uh, so just about two weeks ago, uh, to replace the old domestic airport. And... And so the thing that I'm wondering about is in um, that first item, the uh, CBC.ca news uh, source says something about it, um, the aircraft stalled. I mean, I'm wondering how they know that. I mean, it does kind of look like it has stalled. 
in that video. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, it does. I wish that we had more um, video, but I mean, definitely turning and descending right before impact. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's a it's kind of a textbook uh, stalled, and then you react incorrectly to the stall scenario, right? Putting aileron mm -hmm. in, and when you put aileron in, it exacerbates it and rolls the airplane over. So, and some airplanes just naturally, when they stall, they they'll roll off one yeah. direction or another. Mm -hmm. So that could be the stall characteristic of the uh, ATR um, seventy two, but. Uh, so far, that's all we know. It's a tragedy. I don't think anybody's going to uh, survive that crash. Um, no, I don't think so. No good. Okay. Anything else to add? No, I'm glad they, you know, recovered some of the, what was it, the flight data recorder that they have. Um, that should definitely give a lot more information about the, those final uh, few The minutes. black box, which, of course, we all know, uh, especially people that listen to our show, it's a bright almost orange. fluorescent orange <laughs> color yeah we should start you know what we should do we should never refer to them as black boxes again on the show and just talk to yeah. talk about orange boxes yeah that'll be sort of like our fine because that won't be confusing yeah. not at all yeah. and then everybody else will pick up on it and they'll um they'll give credit to us you can lead the revolution jeff yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's won't start happen. a trend <laughs> I go just, for it no for sure nobody's going to do a darn thing about that okay uh, continuing on, this is an interesting one. Uh, it was uh, this is from the Aviation Herald. A Delta Airbus A330-300 uh, registration 802 Northwest, excuse me, uh, November Whiskey, performing flight DL134 from Detroit, Michigan to Amsterdam, Netherlands, was on final approach to Amsterdam's runway 22 when the main landing gear touched down ahead of the paved surface of the runway and damaged. Two runway threshold lights at 7.52 local time. The aircraft rolled out without further incident and taxied to the apron. Um, news or uh, sources close to uh, this said that uh, in the cockpit, they felt a really large jolt and a big noise. And they said, what was that? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they uh, were showing the picture that will be in the show notes right now in the video and you can see um they're they were aiming for brick one and looks like they got brick minus five <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean they were really close really it's not close. like they were way off <laughs> so close yeah but how far from the actual like touchdown zone oh, like, well like a thousand fifteen hundred feet probably yeah, exactly <laughs> so well, the, just that close details staff details sorry um Apparently, now I've, I've never flown into Schiphol, and so I don't know much about this. Uh, too bad that Nick isn't here, but um, they have several runways, and this one, what do they call that? The Ustban, um, they were using at the time, and I, uh, the graphic there, I put the little arrow in, so pointing at that runway. They were landing on 2-2 nice. there. And yeah, see, I do extra work uh, on occasion. Um, and uh, so apparently, let me see if I can find the uh, narrative here regarding this particular runway. I guess it's not a runway that they use too often. It's a remnant of the old Schiphol Airport. It has a northeast-southwest orientation and is only used for commercial operations in exceptional weather conditions. To land in the Usban, 
aircraft have to fly directly over Amsterdam's downtown, which is why the runway has severe restrictions. For instance, the Oostbank can't be used between 2300 and 0600 uh, for noise um, abatement. Uh, abatement. Thank you. Overall, Amsterdam Schiphol restricts takeoffs and landings between 2300 and 6 o'clock to single takeoff runway and a single landing runway, which are usually runways 18 right, 36 left, which is Polderbahn. The longest and newest runway and six twenty. It's kind of cute that they name they name their runways. Um, six twenty four six two four is Kogban. Interesting. So, I guess it's not as long as the other runways, and they were thinking, well, we got to put this thing down on, as I said, brick one. But they just you know missed it by that much. Missed it. Yeah. Just missed. Just Close, missed it. But no, all, all of your east, the east <laughs> yeah. lane. What's that? All of your all of your data is set up to hit the thousand foot markers, right, or some something yeah, like that. Yeah, like if you're following zone. the glide slope, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually, like first thousand to three thousand feet, depending on how long the runway is. Sometimes less than three thousand if it's like last night landing here um, for the conditions, um, and it's about a eight thousand foot runway, a little Where bit are longer. You, oh, I'm in Burlington, Vermont. Thank you, Liz, for asking. Uh, the uh, Latest touchdown point was calculated as like 2,500 feet down the runway. But it's usually most of the runways we land on uh, in our airliners are um, such that the first 3,000 feet would be the considered the touchdown zone. Do they is that information provided to you in like the briefing or the with the performance data? Like, is there a section that says these this is your earliest and latest touchdown points? Uh, you can get that information, not earliest, but you can get the information as the latest touchdown point when you do the uh, landing performance uh, data report uh, that you that you have to initiate yourself. And normally, you know, we don't have to uh, request that kind of data because it's just assumed that everything is good, you know, good braking and, you know, the runways, as I said, are normally in the eight, 9,000 or longer range. So it's not usually a consideration, but... For instance, coming in last night, you know, because it's uh, they had snow earlier in the day and they were talking about, you know, breaking action reports and uh, snow, compacted snow and centerline markings obs- obscured and that kind of thing. And so you're getting, which was kind of interesting because we were expecting based on all, the, all those NOTAMs that we weren't going to be able to see anything. It was going to be a white runway covered with snow, so, you know, and we when we got closer and we we're about to touch down, it was like, a, I, I even mentioned why we were kind of in the flare about to touch down. I said, I can, looks like a regular dry runway to me. I mean, there was no snow at all on the runway. They did a really good job of, of clearing the runway. There were only a couple of taxiways that we had to kind of go very slowly, which is not normal for me um, because they were uh, like medium to, well, some taxiways were actually saying poor braking. So we didn't use those taxiways, but uh, mm-hmm. Anyway. Did you say how long this particular runway was? This one here? Ustvan. I think it's... I have it here if you need it. Oh, yes. I do. Would lo- would love to know. 6627. 6,627 oh. feet. That's short, especially that for a 330. Yes. Yeah. So I could see their thinking. Well, we need mm-hmm. to really get this thing down. Let's you know, maximize close. the length of mm-hmm. our uh, available landing distance. Oh, they did that. They did that. Yes, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> just and if we touch down in the grass first, we'll have some uh, some fr- additional friction there too to slow down. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> oh well, just a little cleanup, cleanup on aisle two, aisle two. Hey Jeff, what sort of damage do you think that did to the airplane? You think because they said the airplane hasn't left, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They did no. take out a couple of those. Uh, there were some lights, lights that the. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not sure what the damage I, would be to the I can airplane neither itself, confirm nor deny that I've yeah. ever had anything to do with taking out those lights. <laughs> but those lights are generally designed to be like to frangible. break away. Yes. Yeah. And I, I actually, I do yeah. not have personal experience with this, but I have seen firsthand what happens when someone takes one out uh-huh. more than once, the same one repeatedly because yeah. it's in a poor. <laughs> Well, that's just it's a sign that the airport that they need to move it. Yeah. Well, well, it's in the correct place for one of the runways, just the wrong place for the other runway. Which you know, a friend of mine uh, told me <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. No, and yeah. they do. They usually break away quite cleanly, but yeah. I don't know what other. Yeah. But it does require some work to get them back to working order. When, mm. when you do that. Well, at most airports. Some airports yeah. just leave it for a while. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? <laughs> it's a warning to others. <laughs> uh, Liz is asking a good question. I don't know if uh, if Delta would be charged for the costs of replacing that particular light. Um, and the turf. And the turf, yes. yeah. Land I don't know. Landing. Well, this actually, I thought somewhere down here, I, it, I read that it did some damage to the pavement which would by far be the most expensive mm-hmm. uh, yeah i guess maybe that? where that you see the depression in the grass area may, maybe yeah. where it hit the end of the rump or the hard surface maybe i don't it doesn't look like it but maybe yeah this well maybe not because this says there was some damage to the landing strip particularly to the pavement which was repaired within an hour oh so that doesn't sound like real damage to the pavement no. if they Quick repaired pace. it within an hour that sounds yeah. like yeah hey bud like, tell those guys with the brooms get out there <laughs> Get all that mud and grass off the, the runway. The damage, yeah, that's exactly what the damage was. It was covered in grass and dirt. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, there you go. Watch watch what you're doing there. Don't land too short. Come or on, long. Delta. Just right is what you're looking for. Um, all right. So we talked about this uh, tragic crash of two warbirds, a B-17 and a, a P-63, is that right, Nick? Yeah, Okay. correct. And Wings Over Dallas. And I'm not, Liz, where did you get this um, this link from the FAA? I don't remember. Uh, the FAA posted it, I believe. Oh, the FAA did. Yeah, the okay. FAA released it itself. Yeah. Okay, and then it says FOIA in the, uh, in the URL, so Freedom it's like of Freedom of Information Act. So I thought maybe somebody, like no. a third party, had requested it. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, we have this um, link to, uh, I think it was about 32 minutes long, 36 minutes long, something like that. I took that and distilled it to, you know, the, the part of the audio that I think is, is uh, critical. Um, The Airbus is um, uh, taught, it was the recording of the Airbus, basically the guy that's controlling not only air traffic control, and the the formation flying of the uh, warbirds, but also other people landing and taking off at the airport. And also he's talking to the narrator of the show, and he's also talking to uh, the uh, pyrotechnics uh, guy. I think they just refer to them as pyro. So you'll hear the pyro guy talking about what kind of 
pyrotechnics, uh, fireworks or whatever, bombs uh, that they have uh, ready uh, and available. Um, and then uh, toward the middle, and I'll, I might pause it at that point uh, where the uh, the Airbus is directing the the fighters in a formation and also the bombers in a separate formation, um, what to do. And I think there may have been some miscommunication and that might have been a big, a significant factor in this uh, tragedy. So you guys ready for me to play it? Go for it. Oh, before I do, uh, they talk about um, doing like a right 90, left 270. And uh, they also use the term dog bone. So I'm sure that Camacho can tell us that that's something that's pretty common when you're doing air shows and flybys and that kind of thing, correct? Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah, it's a, that's basically a, a uh, course reversal maneuver, right? Like if you imagine um, needing to turn around, you can't turn the airplane directly around 180 degrees in the same space. So when they talk about a dog bone maneuver, they're just talking about the physical space it takes you to turn the airplane. And if you're wanting to stay on a line like you would in an air show, you're generally going to make a turn opposite of the direction of your course reversal turn. Okay. So that's what they were talking about when they're... Now, the, the Airbus doesn't refer to it as a dog bone. The guys that are in the airplanes are are, are talking about that, using that term. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and uh, play this audio. So there's um, some altitude separation. The bombers are at a certain altitude. The fighters are 500 feet above or below. I'm not sure at this point of the show. I'm not sure exactly which is which. Uh, the fighters, I think, were the two P-51s and the uh, P-63, the one that was involved in the uh, midair. And then, of course, the B-17, which was also called Raiders. I guess they're call sign. And a B-24 and... Some other heavies out there, right, Nick? Do you remember all the different bombers in the formation? Yeah, there were a couple of uh, B-25s, B-24, uh, B-29. They'll also refer to the B-29. It was on the ground getting ready to Right. They were about to join, I guess, yeah. the whole thing. Okay. Let's continue. Present. B-17, next pass left, and that gives you a Follow the bombers through, and then I'm going to break you off in just a second. Boss, power, power, go. 
I've got two walking bombs left going each direction and several singles and five stripes. Roger, yeah, we're going to work it out. B-29 to taxi. B-29, taxi, runway 31. Thank you. B-17 after this pass, right 90, left 270. Raiders, right, dark run. Fighters, you can walk your way up to the B-17. I'm going to break y'all out after this. Um, you're going to end up breaking left. So you're going to follow the bombers to the right 90 out, and then you're going to roll back in left and be on the 500-foot line if y'all want to set up an echelon for a break so y'all can get in trouble. Okay, uh, say again for the fighters. That was not clear. Uh, fighters, go echelon uh, right. Go to echelon right. Okay, fighters, echelon right. Okay, I'm going to stop here. So he said something in there about their lateral maneuver, but also you're going to go down to 500 feet. And then the fighter, though I guess the lead um, in the formation of the fighters says, uh, say again, I, that I didn't understand that. And then when the pit boss, or not the pit boss, the uh, air boss, I'm thinking barbecue, the air boss <laughs> came back, he did not mention that 500 feet and that second transmission. Well, uh, so I've only listened to this once. Okay. Um, and I think he was, so there's also some uh, confusion or some question about the show lines they were flying. And I think he was saying the 500 foot show line. Oh, I thought I was thinking altitude. Well, so that's a very good point for what's going on, right? When mm -hmm. he says, I mean, 500 feet can easily be construed as an altitude or in air shows, you know, they've got they, these two flights are flying the 500 foot and the thousand foot show line, which is how far they are away from the crowd. Okay. Um, a horizontal distance, not a vertical distance. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. And I don't, I don't remember for sure, but that my recollection was that that's what he was referring to on this one. Oh, uh, okay. So it's my misunderstanding. Okay. I'm going to back it up a little bit and replay it and let it go. Say again for the fighters. That was not clear. Wait a minute. Uh, find the out and then you're going to roll out after this. Um, you're going to end up breaking left, so you're going to follow the bombers to the right 90 out, and then you're going to roll back in left and be on the 500-foot line if y'all want to set up an echelon for a break. So y'all okay. Okay, uh, say again for the fighters. That was not clear. Uh, fighters, go echelon uh, right. Go to echelon right. Okay, fighters, echelon right. Okay, echelon is a, uh, a formation that is like at a, on a diagonal. So the lead is in the front and the uh, number two is, is behind and slightly offset. Number three is uh, behind number two and offset again to the right, in this case, a, a right echelon. So just to these terms that and a lot a, of people... Are, it's a very... Uh, it's not a very maneuverable formation, right, Jeff? It's kind of like a battleship the way that all the airplanes mm -hmm. maneuver when they're trying to make turns and stuff. right. Yeah, it's 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 challenging, especially if you're like if you're if it's a four ship or a five ship formation, and you're out there uh, at the very end of it, and you're you know you're you're turning the formation. It's a lot of work out there. Less work, uh, obviously, if you're lead, and then number two is not quite as much. It's a little extra work, but then yeah, the further you are out in the echelon, the, the more of a challenge it is. And then if they talk about trail formation, that's basically right behind. Uh, each other, um, not in a diagonal. Okay, here we go. Okay, uh, 
Okay, B-24, if you can give me a couple of uh, inches and close the gap, I'd appreciate it. B-17, let's keep the turn a little flat for me. And just a little bit. When you come back through, you're coming through on the 1,000-foot line. Here's Roger. American fighters should be in a right turn. You're going to follow the bombers out on a right 90 turn, and then I'm going to roll you back in in front of them. Back, I need to chop it down to the deck. Runway 3-1, quit land. There you go, B-17. Yep, gentle, flat. Roll it around, 1,000-foot line. Foot line for Raiders. Fighters, roll it back to the left. Lead, fighter lead, roll it back to the left, and y'all get in trail. Okay, fighters in trail. Yep, and gunfighter, look out your left side and find the B-17. Yeah, there you go. Roll it back to the left. I want you to get in front of the bombers. I want you to come through on the outside edge of the runway. Okay. Wind check now. Winds are estimated 330 at 12 Nice job, fighters. You're coming through first. That will work out. B-17 and all the bombers on the 1,000-foot line. B-17, you got the fighters in front of you off your left. Nice job, fighters. Come on through. Fighters will be a big pull up and to the right. Knock it off, knock it off. Roll the trucks. Roll the trucks. Roll the trucks. Knock it off. Roll the trucks. Thank you very much. B-24, it's right turn. B-24, right turn to follow. Fighters, you go right there. Stay right where you are. Left turn, fighters. Left turn. Knock it off. Roll the trucks. Roll the trucks. Let's go. Roll the trucks. I think we're back. Hold your position. B-29, hold your position. B-24, your right turn, SC2C, follow him. B-25, right turn, you got the B-24 off your left side. Go into the hole, everybody, go into the hole. Okay, cut it off right there because really couldn't. No, <laughs> it was hard for me to listen to that. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, so I'm, I'm glad, uh, Nick Camacho, you're here with us um, because you have some experience with this type of experience. Uh, Aerial parade, they call it. And uh, so, what is what's your take on what happened here? Do you think that uh, it was just miscommunication, misdirection? Yeah, um, I, you know, it's still like I said, I haven't spent a bunch of time kind of dissecting the audio or uh, anything like that. I, I think probably the most telling part is, um, and I'll give the same. Uh, disclaimer that I gave last time we talked about this. I, my, you know, my air show flying experience is limited to a handful of shows and different air bosses run these things different ways. And, um, so my take may not be as relevant to what happened in this show. Cause I haven't flown the show and I haven't flown with that air boss. Um, but, um, you know, there was a lot of talking and directing happening, um, in that audio. And so it, it just seems like the more, um, uh, the more direction you're giving in the moment, the higher likelihood there is for a mistake to happen. So I'm not sure. I still don't know who made the mistake or what exactly the mistake was, you know, but when you hear people saying things like, Oh, you know, what you said is not clear. And he's given a long line of, um, instruction or direction. You know, he's not saying like, uh, do this one thing. You know, he was saying, fly down this line, turn right, turn back left, come back down this other line. Um, and then in addition, like the discussion we just had, you know, there are opportunities to have a miscommunication between 
lateral separation with show lines versus vertical separation with altitudes. Um, you know, fortunately, like for me, the the show that uh, I flew the most was out at Chino. And, uh, you know, we would stack up at, uh, I think we had three tiers of altitudes. And the altitudes were not on the... Um, the altitudes we flew were not on the, uh, not cardinal numbers, but like 500 foot numbers. Right. So we'd have, um, the fighters flying like 200 feet, the second tier at like 700 feet and the third tier at like 1400 feet. So, you know, that was one way that it kind of helped. If somebody said something about an altitude, there were like an off 500 or thousand foot number. If they were talking about like show lines, it was a 500 or a thousand foot number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's like one thing that just came to my mind. I don't know. I I don't know if they do that on purpose or if it just worked out in that show. But, um, you know, going back to what I said last time, uh, a lot of people talked about like, well, isn't everything pre-briefed? And um, they they do try to pre-brief everything. Uh, the shows that I've flown in, we have had um, like alternate options. Because the the air boss has multiple jobs, right? Like their primary job is the safety of all the performers and everything. But once they have all that sorted out, like they are supposed to work with the pilots to provide a good show for everybody. And that includes keeping airplanes flying in front of the crowd and everything. And, you know, like the safest thing to do would be to put one airplane up at a time, have it fly a display, land it, get it out of the way, fly another one. But then you end up with tons of dead dead air and and so it you you got to do kind of this ballet where you got guys departing and arriving while other guys are doing their performance and you've got performances with multiple airplanes and that kind of provides the good show but it also provides this opportunity for uh these human factors that airs to happen um and so like you know we would fly we would have basically like if everything went perfect this is what it's all going to look like And then if we launched and we were behind, we knew what actions we were going to take to shorten the show, to get back on schedule. And if we had extra time, we knew what actions we would be able to take to lengthen it out, right? And like the example I gave last time is the C-47s are always like flying up high. And, um, you know, so we would brief our orbits and the fighters would have their orbits and the transports would have their orbits and we would have this vertical separation. Um, but if we had time, the air boss would, um, move us down, uh, to do a couple of like lower flybys. Right. So we might be in like that 700 foot tier doing, um, orbits on the 500 foot line, right hand orbits. The fighters are flying down the runway doing left hand orbits, uh, down at one or 200 feet. And then if the timing worked out, right, the Airboss might break the fighters out, and then once the fighters are clear of their orbit, then he would bring us down. But we knew that basically our two options were we were either going to depart our orbit um, from our assigned altitude and then break and recover, or we were going to descend our orbit as a flight and then fly down the runway and then break out of the lower altitude and uh, and recover. We ne- I never have really flown anything where... Um, it was uh, on the fly, instruction heavy, like you hear in this um, in this audio. So that's what's different to me. And with my lack of experience with that, man, the first thing I notice is when that fighter pilot says, 
what you just said is not clear. And right. rather than clarifying it, the air boss came back and just said, just do this one thing. Yeah, that's what I took away as well. But, you know, I'm so glad you're here because I, I have zero experience with listening to these kind of communications. And I was kind of amazed at how much direction was going on by that air boss. And so it's interesting that you mentioned that this is like, you think that he was like overdoing it, giving too much information. Yeah. And it's, there are so many variables, right? Like mm-hmm. that was a CAF air show, a CAF air boss. And I'm, I'm sure that those guys felt like they probably had a little more leeway because everyone knew each other. Everyone had flown with each other. Um, and I, that might have led to a sense of complacency to a certain extent, right? Like whenever I go fly somewhere, whether it's an air show or whether it's just on my own or with people, right? Like if I'm going to fly somewhere with a couple of my buddies and we've flown together a ton, I'm like, I've flown with this guy a lot. I know what he's going to do. He knows what I'm going to do. This is going to be easy. Um, if I'm going to go out and fly with somebody that I've never flown with before, I'm a, you know, there's like, there's like my threshold. And then when I'm with people that I'm super comfortable with, whether it's right or wrong, right. I might back off of that threshold a little bit and be like, right. These guys will help take care of me. I can help take care of them. We know each other real well. Uh, conversely, you know, when flying with new people, it's kind of the opposite, right? You're like, I'm going to be a little tighter on my game because I'm not quite sure what this guy might be thinking. Right. So right. with it being a, oh, I think it was an all CAF air show. Mm-hmm. So with it being an all CAF air show, I'm sure a lot of those guys knew each other. I know the fighter guys had flown together a ton um, and knew each other real well. I assume that the fighter bomber, uh, you know, interaction was similar. So that's just something to think about. Don't know if it's a factor or not, obviously. Right. Um, thanks for that analysis. Yeah. Because definitely listening to all that is not something I'm used to, to listening to. It's, and, you know, just trying to, um, my mind's trying to paint these pictures like you see, like on the VAS aviation stuff where it's like got each aircraft tagged up and who's doing what, and you know, who's talking to whom. And I found that difficult at times to follow. For sure. And that, you know, one of the, one of the issues I had with this, this particular incident is I'm on a couple of online forums for better or worse, probably shouldn't be, but I am. Um, and <laughs> it's what we all do. It's okay. yeah. Right. <laughs> and so obviously when this happened, like all the experts came out of the woodwork and there were, you know, it was like the civilian warbird guys were like, I know all about this because I fly a civilian warbird. And then the military fighter pilots were like, no, 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 you're wrong. I've got all this military flying experience. You know, and it really kind of goes back to like, you guys both have probably have good experience. Also, we don't know what happened here. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I'm so quick to or so not quick to jump to saying what I think is going on, even when I think I know what's going on, you know, especially when we do a lot of these news items, um, then maybe people expect to hear more sometimes about our personal thoughts and analyses. But I mean, at the end of the day, until you have, until someone's gone through and really looked at all angles of things, it's hard to know for sure. And anything else is just leading to, you know, fueling some of those discussions that may or may not have merit. Right. And like the, the advent and introduction of technology, right? Like, Mm. You would think that uh, ADSB is the greatest thing in the world. ADSB is awesome. I think it is a definite uh, positive impact. Has had a definite positive impact on aviation. But there were people that were going online and 
pulling ADSB tracks for these airplanes. And it's, you're talking about like a very dynamic event, yeah. very yeah. close to the ground. Yeah. And who knows like how accurate that data is. And, and, you know, some it's people a, are showing know. it as gospel and stuff. Yeah. When, it, when you get close to the ground, they've already said that, you know, that yeah. the ADSB data is really not that accurate. Sure. And right. anyone should know that from looking at like flight aware any flight, flight radar right? 24 like, any like flight as soon as things get close to terminating like, percent oh, of the flights well, in america would have crashed sense. short of the runway if exactly you were just at or continued on beyond data. the runway at like some <laughs> altitude that you know is negative to the ground yeah it's only 50 yeah. percent actually so. <laughs> well so they're on par with us exactly <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no but thanks for that nick that was uh just helpful to hear you kind of debrief uh, and talk through some of the the audio there yeah yeah no problem and again, that's just a little piece, you know, from a Freedom of Information Act um, request. And uh, that's, I'm sure, a major part or a, a significant part of the NTSB investigation of the incident. And uh, there's there are no conclusions drawn whatsoever yet. It's just something to put out there. and Raw data. Yeah, raw data. Okay. Somebody's going to join us. There he Whoa, is. Whoa, wait a minute. What is this we're seeing background. here? Oh, the background looks a little little snowy and icy. Chilly. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> chilly. <laughs> his uh, studio in, in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's cold and icy, Captain Nick. <laughs> Hi there, everyone. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it is a bit cold and icy. I, I've been doing my um, ice skating routine uh, on the way home, uh, and uh, it were the, most of the roads I use to get home from where I've been uh, doing my uh, evening bowls um, were completely closed. There were police cars everywhere blocking roads off, and mm. there's just been so much standing water uh, that even though the gritters had been through the majority of the roads, uh, uh, it had either been washed away or, you know, diluted so much. The, the uh, what? A lot of these country roads were gritters. just... Like, the gritters. Yeah. gritters? Like adding gritters. Grit, grit to the road? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Is salt, that sand or salt? Yeah. You don't like have gritters. Grit. Uh, no, your, your country's a bit big for that sort of thing. We can afford to <laughs> well, we have, put rocks yeah, we have both. both. We salt the roads. We, we salt. Are you talking about salt or sand? Both. They okay. put out a mixture of uh, rock salt and sand yeah. and grit anyway. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Add some grit uh, to your I, I only nearly went off the road once, so that was fine. I had to take uh, find averted. some main, very big roads to get me home, which took a severe uh, detour. Anyway, I'm safely back. Thanks. Nope. Uh, glad you're back safe. And Yeah. I listened to the second half of your analysis of that and uh, you guys talk so much sense it was uh, great you know impressive for me to actually be on the listening side for a change rather than trying to contribute but uh, that was really good well thanks do you have anything to add to any of that discussion no i don't i i would feel reluctant anyway it's not really my field yeah mine either uh yeah, yeah. so i don't think you've covered covered it all nicely he's back in time to talk about his favorite airport well okay. you are back Perfect timing. Just in Captain time. On Just to in your time to talk sure. about, uh, I think, probably your favorite airport. Uh, this would be. Uh, oh, oh, really? Lagos? Uh, <laughs> well, no, Second favorite airport. Yeah, not, not, not the favorite, but close. The, your favorite American airport. 
Ah, um, okay. Right. New York's uh, John F. Kennedy International Airport. This is an ah, incident. I think I know what you're about to. Yeah, just talk a couple about. of days ago, there uh, there was an incident involving an American triple seven two hundred and a. Uh, let's see, what was the other airline? It was a Delta. It was a Delta uh, 737-900. Registration 914-DU, performing flight 1943 from New York to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. The 777-200 was, um, the American flight was headed to London Heathrow. And... Uh, let's see. We have um, there. There was a uh, possible. It could have been a tragedy. Uh, there was a conflict uh, caused by. It seems to have been caused by one of the flights. And we have some live ATC.net audio to listen to regarding this. And then we'll do some analysis. Grand American with zero six heavy single alpha for taxi. Zero six heavy kilogram and four left taxi left Bravo to Cuba. American 106. American 106. Heavy, cross runway 31 left at Kilo. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff clearance. Delta 1943, cancel takeoff clearance. Rejecting. Delta 1943, same intentions. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, go somewhere, run a couple of tracklists, and uh, probably make some phone call for Dirt 1943. Delta 1943, taxi right on Bravo, hold short of Hotel Bravo. Right on Bravo, hold short of Hotel Bravo, Delta 1943. Delta 1943, Kenny, did you make the switch? Yes, sir, we did. Okay, I'm guessing you don't want to move, right? Uh, well, we got to make a couple phone calls here. My guess is we're going to go back to a gate. Okay, I'm figuring that as well. All right. American 106 Heavy. 106 Heavy, possible pilot deviation. I have a number for you. Advise ready to copy. Ready to copy. American 106 Heavy. American 106 Heavy. The last clearance we were given, we were cleared to uh, cross. Is that correct? American 106 Heavy. Uh, we're departing runway four left. Um, I guess we'll listen to the tapes, but uh, you were supposed to depart runway four left. You're currently holding short of uh, three one left. Roger, American Okay, I must say that this compilation, uh, different frequencies, ground frequency, tower frequency, um, and some compression there as well. Uh, so let's back up, and if you'll show that first uh, slide, Liz. The um, American flight uh, at the top there, you see the little green line that I scribbled on there. Uh, they, they called in with a taxi request from Tango Alpha, and the instruction was to take left on Bravo. So all the way around. So there was a lot of time elapsed before they got down to the point where they were given a crossing clearance all the way down around uh, Bravo parallel to runway 31 left. Um, I'm thinking maybe they had it in their heads or maybe their takeoff data. Maybe they didn't catch the fact that they were assigned four left. Uh, they were probably thinking three, one left. That's what we're going to be using today. So human, you know, a human error, uh, may, uh, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, the instruction was to hold short of Kilo. And uh, if you'll zoom into the uh, 
next one. The instruction was to hold short of three one left. Well, at kilo. kilo. At yes. kilo, yeah. Okay, so if you'll go to the next slide. That zooms it in a little bit. Well, okay. Was that exactly what they said? Uh, cr- at, well, the first they said hold left. short a kilo, and then they said cross kilo, uh, cross 3-1 left three a kilo. At kilo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, actually, they were given crossing clearance for 3-1 left on kilo. Okay. Is what they were given. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, I so mean, the, the initial instruction crossing, was yeah. tra- uh, Tango Alpha, Bravo, short a kilo. Gotcha. Then they were giving the crossing instruction. Three one left cross on kilo, and uh, uh, was this day or night? Um, it was night. Not I sure. I think it was a night. Let me double check. What time did this happen? Sorry, for I should know this, I, but I I don't know. Didn't spot it. You know, it doesn't yet. say in this article, but I believe it was evening. I'll find out real quick. Okay. okay. So let's look at this um, image that we have here that we'll have in the show notes, so you all at home can follow along. Um, so. If they're pre-programmed to head over to three one left, the crossing clearance of three one left, they obviously in their minds are thinking, "Oh, it's clear to cross four left and head out to three one left." So the red line is what they actually did. The green line shows what they were instructed to do: cross three one left on kilo, go all the way to the end of four left. Uh, they crossed at Juliet and. Uh, that was the active takeoff runway. That's where the Delta flight, flight 1943, a 737-900, was beginning their takeoff roll when they were crossing at that point. And that's when we hear all the commotion up in the tower cab. And one was a voice of ground control. One was a voice of tower. Um, I think that this is one of those pet peeves that I have. We should all be on the same frequency, but okay. Um, they weren't, from so- what I can tell. Just a quick internet search. Um, looks like that uh, American flight typically departs at 8.30 p.m. So this is okay, so it's dark. evening. So it's dark. And uh, so it was interesting that um, I'm assuming the second voice that we heard from the American uh, 106 Heavy was the captain. And uh, he said, weren't we given, wasn't our clearance to cross? He didn't specify what runway. He just said, wasn't our clearance to cross? And yes, your run, your your clearance was to cross, but you crossed the wrong runway. You crossed three one. I mean, yep. excuse me, four left, not three one left. Um, and I think it was relatively early on in the takeoff run for the seven thirty seven because they were able to do their reject and stop about. I think that I read somewhere about a thousand feet short of Juliet. Um, so uh, if if they had. Uh, if this had happened maybe a little bit further down the runway, uh, it could have been even more tra- – or could have been tragic. But I don't think they had a lot of – I don't know what the speed was that they accelerated to, but um, I don't think it was in the – it may have not have been in the high-speed realm, but I don't know. Okay. Discuss. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've texted around that area where they – uh, either made a mistake or took a wrong turn or misinterpreted their uh, clearance uh, many, many times. And uh, I, I, it looks quite clear on the map, doesn't it? You think, how can you possibly make a, a mistake there? Because, you know, Bravo's a nice straight line, and then it has this kind of curve around and continues up to the um, 
northeast, and uh, there's a clear turning off to Kilo and a clear turning off to Juliet. Well, it, it's not that easy on the ground because it's not like you've got a clear piece of tarmac to follow or concrete, and there's uh, islands of grass with, or something that contrasts, which you can see there. A lot of that uh, whole area is just all concrete. And what the guys are trying to look at on the ground are the white taxi markings and a profusion in that particular area of taxi lights because you've got a merging of uh, one, two, three uh, on Bravo, three turnings on Bravo. You've got two on Alpha. Uh, and it all kind of... Um, there's a conglomeration. Uh, it's not It's not an easy set of lights to separate out, not like a clear avenue uh, of easily identified lights. And the first time I saw this, I thought, I wonder if they've just got a clearance and they've taken, uh, gone, <laughs> gone past Kilo and taken Juliet thinking that was Kilo. Now, you would look at that map and you say, well, that's completely, how could Earth, could they have made a mistake by that? But if you follow what I've just said, uh, you only actually need to go forward, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet and turn left about 45 degrees to go past Kilo. And now you're at the junction with Juliet. And if you weren't looking down at the signs and the markings, which aren't always clear, particularly when the weather's wet and you get a lot of reflection. I don't know if it was, it was wet or dry, but that's to a certain extent irrelevant. I can see how you could get past Kilo and take Juliet in error by mistake. Um, and then, of course, you think you're on Kilo crossing a runway and you've already had a crossing clearance, so off you go. Uh, if you don't relate this to your... Um, compass or if you haven't got a, a good gps um on your ipad that's uh giving you clear your your position very clearly against the map and most aircraft do if you're just trying to to do it um and in the middle of a set of checks as well and you know uh i can see how you'd make this mistake i'm not this is not an excuse i'm giving i can see a reason for someone being lured into making a mistake in that particular corner of those taxiways. Uh, now, whether they did that or did something else, um, misinterpreted their clearance, believed they were on 3-1 left, and when they were obviously on uh, runway 4 left, I don't know either. But um, all I'm saying is there is uh, possibly some mitigation for making an error in, in, that, in that spot. Well, thank you for bringing up my counterpoint on your own there, Captain Nick, in terms of, um, you know, referencing to compass heading um, yeah. and moving map displays, which are fairly ubiquitous at this point, um, especially yeah. if you're going to be crossing a runway. Um, you better be Absolutely. darn sure which runway you're crossing, um, yep. which, again, brings us back to the point, did they know which runway they were really supposed to be crossing and or going to? So Yeah. That's so uh, I, I agree that uh, I'm just putting an alternative view to they um, thought they had clearance to cross uh, four and they were going to get airborne on three one. 
Uh, I don't even know if there was a runway change or whether there was simultaneous uh, runway. They were using uh, both. They were. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. So, yeah. So, oh, That's interesting. No. Uh, don't <laughs> tell me they lost the CVR. Yes, but they have the ETC tapes, surely. Well, so yeah, but CVR you really want to hear what the discussion what, on the flight, on the flight deck, deck was. For sure, for sure. To see uh, how and where they, um, they became disorientated or yeah. not, as the case right. may be. Interesting one. The, for, for the uh, podcast listeners, not viewers, there's a um, comment in our chat room from Baltimore Tommy. It says, it was pointed out on Twitter that the AA crew, the American crew, proceeded to depart. So the CVR was lost. And this was a JFK-based crew who should have known that the departure runway was four left, not four right. However, we were thinking it's maybe yeah. they well, thought yeah, three think, one left and not. They, I don't yeah. think they were thinking four right at any point. No, um, no, that was not part of the mix. Perhaps they were thinking three one left. So. They were but thinking regardless, three one left, I think. The, the point about the CVR recording being lost is taken. Right. Now, I just let me replay this whole thing from the very beginning. And I want you I want to take note of something that initial taxi instruction off of Tango Alpha way up on the north side to the point where they finally got the clearance to cross the runway. What it probably was five to 10 minutes, I would imagine. That's a long way to go. Um, you know, depending on how quickly they taxi. For me, it would be maybe about three minutes. Yeah. Uh, but for them, maybe about 10. <laughs> I don't know. But here, let me play this. Ground American, 106 Heavy, Tingle Alpha for taxi. 106 Heavy, Kenny Ground, there's four left, taxi left, Bravo, let's go to Kilo. Bravo, let's go to Kilo, American, 106. American, 106. Okay, so you see right there, there was like two seconds or so before he gave them crossing clearance. But as I said, that's many, many minutes have gone by. But he did mention that initial instruction, four left. And this is how Wait. you're going to get there. Yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah. Could yep. you just play that just once before? Yeah, once me? more. I yeah. had a question about it. Ground American, 106 Heavy, Tingle Alpha for taxi. 106 Heavy, Kenny Ground, there's four left, taxi left, Bravo, let's go to Kilo. Bravo, let's go to Kilo, American, 106. Okay. She did not read clear. back the four left part of that, though, at least not nope. on the clip that we have. Nope, she didn't. Probably should have. And the but runway crossing instruction, do we have that it one? It said just hold short kilo. That's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, again, I think, I really truly believe what happened here was they're in their heads. They're thinking they're going out to 3-1 left. And they're looking at all the takeoff data and everything else probably for 3-1 left. And so when they said across, they, oh, this is how we get out to 3 1 left. We were given a crossing clearance, not paying close attention to the runway nomenclature that uh, they're using in the instruction. Again, that's just all a, a guess on my part, but that's, no, no, that's I think what it's I a, think may have happened. I think it's as, uh, as good a guess as any um, what was going on in the guy's heads um, and did really they look know. you know when they were crossing the runway did they look over to the right and did the first officer actually look over there and make sure that there was nothing you know again it's kind of tough at night um, mm. some air, airlines we've talked about this many times on the show some airlines SOP is you get on the runway whether you're cleared for takeoff or not and you got all your lights on uh, some airlines they don't turn all their lights on like their landing lights on until they're cleared for takeoff so yeah is that somebody that's just going into position or is that somebody actually rolling down the runway towards me? And is the angle such where I can't really see any motion? So, so on the, on the map that you were showing there, you know, it doesn't look like a very long distance from the 
uh, departure side of four left to the intersection with three one left, but mm-hmm. that's a 12,000 foot long runway. So yeah. if you look at, you can kind of see the little scale there. That's actually a couple thousand feet. It's not like, you know, 600 feet or something. Yeah. So it yeah. could have been, they could have been in the high speed realm, uh, the 737 by that point. Um, again, it's hard to say, you know, Santo Domingo, uh, it could have been maybe a full flight, had a lot of fuel. They could be pretty heavy. I don't know. There are a lot of factors here. Um, but they um, they reacted uh, quickly, got the airplane stopped. Um, a tragedy was avoided. Uh, but there were several Funyuns that were lining up there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sultan of Wings here um, mentions expectation bias. And I think that uh, a lot will depend upon what they thought they were supposed to be doing. And that'll come out of the inquiry. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm also a little surprised having got themselves in that situation that they were, you know, quite happy to depart the flight. Go again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I would yeah. have been oh completely um focused now on the mistake and I would have found it quite hard um to break free of that and do a flight without continually looking across and going can you remember what happened that did did we do this uh it would have been very distracting so you know in my cockpit i might have gone oh lord this is you know this is pretty major incident i think we ought to uh go back part this and um you know try again tomorrow okay um tim van ram in our live audience is asking please discuss why delta had to return to the gate well so, and I was just about to mention the fact, you know, we were talking about, well, it's interesting that the American 106 Heavy decided to press on after about 30 minutes after this event and the Delta flight returned to the gate. Well, one, uh, the one that rejected the takeoff, there are standard operating procedures that say, uh, if that happens, now you have to get clearance from the duty pilot, probably the chief pilot or their representative before you do anything else. And so there are, as he said in his radio communication, we have some phone calls to make. So there's a whole post-rejected takeoff procedure and that you got to go through. You pull out all the applicable regs and everything else. And uh, so there, and you have to also consider uh, the fact that the brakes are probably pretty hot, although they didn't mention anything about hot brakes. And of course, if they were were hot brakes, then they wouldn't want to actually go into the crowded gate area. They would probably go somewhere else. Uh, but so that may not have been a factor, but there are some procedures, policies that we have to adhere to when we reject a takeoff. Now, if you're the one that crossed and caused this whole mess, um, technically, I don't believe there's any requirement to, it depends on your airline, to, to like talk to somebody, call the duty pilot, call the chief pilot, get clearance to continue the flight. But Nick makes a, uh, Captain Nick makes a great point that are you now in any any condition to fly all the way across the Atlantic to uh, Heathrow um, after what just happened? Um, yeah, that I thought that was a good, I was going to make that same point. I mean, you could just tell from in the 15 seconds when that guy, when they're noted or, you know, when they say possible pilot deviation and then that captain or the male voice comes back and says, hey, we were cleared to cross. And he's like, pretty confident mm-hmm. and sounds pretty self-assured and then when the controller says well we'll check but here's what we think you did wrong and then his response is you can almost you can barely hear him because he mumbles it and it's yeah. almost like okay 
man, oh. is that guy wondering what's going to happen to his crew yeah. right oh, now? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And having that phone call, uh, they've got the number. I don't suppose they're going to phone them at JFK. They're going to get airborne and do it when they land at Heathrow right. many hours mm-hmm. later. That's going to be sitting on top of them going, oh, damn, a pilot deviation. What are we going to do now? Yeah, you mm-hmm. got about, you yeah. know, was that almost six hours to think about that? Yep. It, if it had been Absolutely. me, I'd be going, hmm, I don't think I'm going to make it all the way to the uh Suddenly, I don't age feel 65. well. I'm thinking like I might uh, be retiring early. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> Here's my retirement flight. Call Liz. Yeah. <laughs> Circle the wagons. Get everyone out here. <laughs> well, why do you think I retired early? Oh, well, <laughs> oh. we don't want to go into those we details, do we? <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting if they got to Heathrow and the uh, fire trucks were like spraying. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. Anyway, interesting. Well, thank uh, the Lord, uh, you know, it ground to a halt without there being another Tenerife because uh, yes. that was the potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll learn more, hopefully, uh, with that incident um, and then we'll cover it on our show. Uh, let's continue with the next item, which is E. Uh, there is a preliminary report, an Aerostan, uh, which is a, a Kyrgyzstan um, cargo outfit, uh, Boeing 747-200 at Macau on November 23rd, 2022, engine shut down in flight. Uh, the Aerostan Boeing 747-200 registration Echo X-Ray 47001 performing flight 4053 from Macau, China, to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, with four engineers and five crew, was climbing out of Macau's runway 16 when the crew stopped the climb at about 10,000 feet due to the number two engine, the JT-9D inboard left hand, emitting bangs and streaks of flames. The crew shut the engine down and returned to Macau for a safe landing on runway 34 about 40 minutes after departure. Macau's Civil Aviation Department uh, AACM reported the aircraft returned to Macau due to the failure of the number two engine and the aircraft landed safely. Now I'm going to scroll down a little bit further down and uh, there's a little bit more information about what happened, the kind of the sequence of events in the preliminary report. Um, so they're at, they're at their stand and at around 1.45 uh, universal uh, time or coordinated universal time. Macau International Airport ground service provider Menzies staff found a fuel leak on the aircraft engine number two and reported to the captain. Onboard engineers checked the engine and tried to fix the engine. At 2.05, so 20 minutes later, the captain performed aircraft engine number two wet motor, which I'm assuming means they actually put the fuel on, so they're motoring the engine, putting the fuel on, but I guess no ignition. Um, was stopped by Menzies since the Aerostan flight had not re- received approval from the tower. Uh, then 20 minutes later, the captain performed engine number two motor again without approval <laughs> and was stopped by the ground servicing company Menzies again. After that, no more engine run was performed. At 5.02, so about 35 minutes later, 37 minutes later, the Aerostan flight was approved for departure and started pushback. During pushback, Menzies did not observe a fuel leak on number two, and the aircraft took off at 515 local or UTC, 
At 5.25, so 10 minutes after takeoff, during the climb, the fire alarm and number uh, engine number two was activated. Flight crews immediately followed their QRH quick reference handbook procedures to shut down engine number two. At the same time, they declared mayday and requested in-flight turn back to Macau. Full emergency of Amer- um, airport emergency plan was activated at once. Uh, flight rec- crews reported no actual fire had been seen, but only the fire alarm indication. Uh, in the Macau International Airport, uh, fire vehicles were standing by near the end of the runway while a tow truck was stand- standing by at the apron. Uh, after they dumped fuel for about 10 minutes, the aircraft landed on runway 34, vacated via Taxiway Golf, was holding on Taxiway Hotel. The Fire Services Bureau Airport Division observed fire and smoke on engine number two and stand standby for fire extinguishing. Uh, then the fire, exting- the fire extinguish was requested by flight crews after the onboard engineers finished checking. <laughs> yep, got a got a fire out there. There's a picture uh, there yeah. on the video. Definitely a fire. Um, yeah, yeah. So and presumably that had been going on while they were dumping fuel. <laughs> yeah. God, really? Uh. <laughs> yeah. So pour some more gas on it. It's fine. <laughs> Sure. Well, I mean, there's fires in the engines all the time anyway. Out. Come on, you know? That's, that's yeah, cool. in the engine, usually, inside. Oh, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> Let's not get technical here. so much inside, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like uh, maybe some rules were being bent a little bit and um, assumptions were being made about the state of the engine, etc. Apparently, the captain didn't uh, think that he needed approval from the appropriate authorities on the ground to do any of these engine runs or anything else. And then I think after the second time he was told he can't do it, he thought, I got the, the heck with it. We're going. Yeah. <laughs> close the doors. We're heading out of here. <laughs> what could go, what could possibly go wrong? Mm. See you back there soon. Well, fortunately only that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Could have been worse. Burn marks on the aft core cowl. Burned wires, ducts, and pipes inside the engine. Some detached melted metals were found loose inside the fan cowl. I wonder where the leak actually was coming from. I don't know. Yeah. The engine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's supposed to leak into the engine, Captain. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, this is a. Uh, head scratcher for me watch for the final yeah i'm i'm a bit perturbed as well yeah you you know one thing that i i kind of that kind of got me is uh for work i've recently been doing some turbine engine stuff i'm not as i have made pretty clear in the past i don't know a ton about turbine engines but we were doing some turbine engine runs and it included uh our process included doing a couple of wet starts which I assume what is what motor? they're doing here. Yeah. yeah. Which is you basically run the start sequence without the ignition turned on. And we put jet fuel everywhere when we did that. And, you know, jet fuel <laughs> does not evaporate off real fast, like avgas. Like if you spill avgas or 100 low lead piston engine gas, it evaporates in a matter of seconds. Like a, a puddle or a mm-hmm. pool might take a minute or a couple of minutes, but... Um, when we did those wet starts, we just like coated everything in the area with jet fuel because you're running full fuel flow, start fuel flow, um, and then just blowing it out with the, uh, fan, right. Cause it's motoring the fan. So I, I was just kind of curious what it would look like to do a wet start on a 
on an engine that's going to go fly and not take the time to clean it or wipe it up or anything. Well, I suspect that's why permission was required. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. Why, why it was probably denied. Yeah. You can't do a wet in well, the start And there. then, too, like, I, I guess, I don't know if that's part of the, I don't know enough to know enough about any of this, but just based on what you're saying there, Nick, like, how do you expect to find where the fuel leak's coming from if you're doing that, if you're just ending up spraying jet fuel everywhere? Yeah, I, I don't know what the procedure... I mean, this is a Boeing. I would expect it to leak a certain amount of fuel all the time anyway. We need to um, let Tim Van Ram know that it's wet starts. <laughs> yes. Wet starts. And don't forget, uh, if you have a bit of a, a fuel leak, you've got to get the fire section out to come and hose it all off because uh, you can't just leave those... As Nick says, it takes a while to evaporate. You can't just leave puddles of aviation fuel sitting around on on the apron so you have to get fire service out and they hose it all down it all becomes an absolute palaver ah it's okay <laughs> come on <laughs> um yeah interesting all right now let's continue on to this lovely story which we hear about this at least twice a year if not more uh bodies of two stowaways found dead uh, in the landing gear of an Airbus A320 operated by the Colombia-based airline Avianca shortly after the aircraft arrived in Bogota on Friday night, aviation officials and the airline have confirmed this story is from Paddle Your Own Canoe. The five-year-old single-aisle aircraft had just operated Avianca Flight 116, which was a scheduled service between Santiago de Chile, Chile and Bogota. Data supplied by FlightAware shows that the aircraft was in the air for nearly five and a half hours and flew at over 36,000 feet for much of the journey. Yep. In a statement, Colombia's aviation regulator, the Aeronautica Civil de Colombia, said uh, two people were discovered lifeless in the landing gear, dead, uh, as engineers carried out a routine maintenance inspection shortly after the aircraft arrived in Bogota. A spokesperson for Avianca said the airline immediately activated an established security protocol for such an eventuality and notified the relevant authorities in both Colombia and Chile. The airline says the pilots carried out a pre-check of the aircraft and there was nothing suspicious found. Once the aircraft departs the gate, however, the security of the aircraft becomes the responsibility of the airport authority. Now, that's interesting because... I used to oh, frequently end up doing the walk around in a nice warm country, uh, particularly, uh, you know, if it's not raining and things. And um, <laughs> there are certain places we departed from where I was always suspicious of people who might have climbed up because there's an awful lot of people wandering around out, um, the aircraft quite often. It would be relatively easy for someone to climb up into the empty undercarriage bay. So uh, what I used to do was stick my phone up there because it's quite high on the 340, you know, and uh, you can't really stick your head in there and see. So I used to be able to reach up with my phone, and this is uh, a picture I, I found on my phone of <laughs> what I used to do was to go up there and take a picture of the inside of the undercarriage bay to make sure there's no one hiding in the corners. Uh, but I wonder what, I mean, I only throw it open, throw it out there as a possible way of checking your undercarriage base. You know, the well, a way of checking useful. in a way of knowing, you know, at what time it was clear as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you all you yeah. can do is go, well, 
when I took this picture, it was fine. So, exactly. You know, if someone claimed in after that, well, you know, that's that's tough. I'm a little disappointed, Nick, uh, in you that you didn't Photoshop uh, another photo, uh, the same background with a with a like a face, like a almost a cartoon face of somebody in there, <laughs> like a stowaway from behind. Maybe, maybe yeah. I could do title. that for the show. Oh, yeah, there's a possibility. Okay. Uh, but it would have been put fun. put a little face in there and yeah. go peekaboo. Here, I, here's a picture I took. and Oh, look at that. I found some stowaways. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah. We have to make light of the subject. We do have to make light yeah. of things. Yeah, especially. it is very sad for the individuals. Uh, but we, you know, listen to our show and you'll find out just how damn dangerous it yeah, is. And perhaps you'll think twice of right. putting yourself at that risk. All right. Um, our show is mostly aviation, but um, occasionally we talk about space. And this is kind of a kind of a gray area, right? Because uh, Virgin Atlantic, they're um, not Virgin Atlantic. Virgin, what's the name? Uh, Virgin, Virgin Orbit. Orbit um, yeah. is they a make kind of a sugar-free chewing gum. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hybrid kind of a system where they're using you know, aviation uh, airplanes to launch rockets that go into space. So that's why it just barely met the criteria for us to talk about on the show. <laughs> well, um, it's got a big 747 involved. Yeah. Um, does it? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> well, no, I said I said aviation airplanes, didn't I? You did. Yeah, you yeah, said airplanes. yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Airplanes. Is, is a 747 an airplane? Come on. It is. Uh, mission terminated after reaching space, but prior to achieving orbit as a result of premature shutdown, Uh-oh. a first burn. Yeah, it's embarrassing. A first burn of second stage. Uh, prior to okay, the, the whole thing is called Start Me Up mission. Every customer satellite launched by Virgin Orbit has reached its desired orbit prior to this issue. Uh, Virgin yeah. has begun an internal investigation into root causes. Pending satisfactory conclusion of failure investigation and completion of corrective actions and mission assurance processes, Virgin Orbit plans its next launch from Mojave in California. Discussions have begun for anticipated future return to spaceport Cornwall. Um, Preliminary analysis of data from the Start Me Up mission has begun to shed light on the outcome of the January 9th flight and the next steps to follow. So honestly, I have not uh, been really following this closely at all. I'm sure that uh, maybe there was more attention paid to it in the UK. Well, it certainly was in Cornwall. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a lot happens down there. Right. Uh, and if, uh, except a lot of people go there for the holidays. Yeah, you do, right? A beautiful part. Yeah, beautiful part of the world. Um, but uh, this is, you know, you think, Wow, that's fantastic. They've got a space center in Cornwall. And it's a real shame that, uh, you know, that when, when the push came to shove and they needed to get it up, they couldn't. Um, mm, that's because, embarrassing. I mean, I think, yes, I know. I know. I'm sure, sure that next time they'll have appropriate. Um, I'm trying to think of a good word to phrase. <laughs> He's trying to make Take appropriate movie. measures. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, ensure they get it up next time. But, I mean, uh, the fact is that uh, they had done lots of tests and it worked every time before. Mm-hmm. But it was it was in front of everybody this was happening. So there was a certain amount of uh, 
um, you know, pressure from, you know, the media and everything that was in the UK that was very interested in seeing this. Um, uh, uh, But the aircraft, uh, I have to point out, and the launch from the 747 went perfectly, went fine. It wasn't their problem. It was the um, the actual rocket that didn't quite perform. Mm. And if your rocket doesn't perform, life becomes a little embarrassing. Mm. Yes, um, especially for the customer. Um, yes. <laughs> the uh, whatever, the, whoever the launch customer is in this case. Uh, so... So let me get this straight. All the launches made from the United States were successful, but the one and only from the United Kingdom was not. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with how many and where the preliminary, uh, all the yeah. tests were done. I'm, huh. I think you're probably right. Interesting. Huh. All right. It's a bit cold in Cornwall this time of year. Perhaps that was the problem. Yeah, could be. Yeah, a Mojave yeah. Desert is definitely not cold. Well, it does get yeah, cold at yeah, night. Yeah, and things shrink Perform- from the cold. Yeah, there's some performance considerations. And- yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Significant shrinkage. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Let's continue with the uh, H. Uh, it's a hard landing. Uh, yeah, why don't you throw that picture oh, wow. up and show you how hard that landing was. <laughs> that was. That was my reaction. We were looking at this like before the show started and just kind of going through the news real quick. And this one caught my attention because when yep. you say hard landing, this is not how I picture the aircraft looking after That's a hard after. landing. This no. Before. Yeah, this is what the uh, it's <laughs> supposed to look like. <laughs> now show what it does look like. Yeah, that's. Yeah, actually, I was, I was kind of startled when I actually looked up what it was supposed to look like, you know, in a non-crashed um, condition. Yeah, not at all. Like- and I went, oh wow, I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> uh, no, I had to no, double this- check myself a few times. Are you sure that that's the same airplane? Yeah, I mean, not the same this, exact. This is a real workhorse of yeah. Antonov. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this was one of Antonov's most successful aircraft and the fact that they're still going now uh, they're slightly fewer now yeah the first flight of this thing was 1940 not this particular one but the uh, the airplane (laughs) model was 1947 yeah it's been Uh, around for a while they have built thousands of the damn things yeah so uh and they're incredibly rugged so to do that amount of damage to it you go wow (laughs) well according to i'm not sure what the authoritative sources but somebody says the most likely cause of the accident with the an2 in the nenets autonomous district is unpredictable severe icing unpredictable unpredictable okay i'm not really sure i understand might might be some translation issue because this whole thing it's kind of runs as like a a possible um the the whole kind of uh, news uh, item that we're looking at here is kind of a uh, like a, a sequence of events and times and and then uh, anyway it's definitely a, a conversion to English from or translation from Russian. There was a I'm lot assuming. of damage done. Yeah, a lot of damage, but um, kind of cool. Uh, one of the uh, vehicles or one of the types of vehicles that they employed because conditions were not good for flying, obviously. Um, they decided to use a couple of these vehicles. And I wanted to include this because I thought Steph would 
get a big kick out of these things and probably want one uh, as long as they have them in a like a bright pink or a bright blue color. So let's see. Let me see if I can get that thing on there. Called truck holes, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Look at these things. Now, look, of course, replacing tires could get expensive. Yeah, it could be Miami Rick. I think tires. he does oh, have one of these. Yeah, yeah, look I at that bloke whizzing past in his unlike the ice Toyota. Look, I got this. Are those not boss? Man, those are cool. Captain Nick needed to drive home tonight. Yes. Well, I wish I had, actually. (laughs) Quite honestly. It's been like, road closed? I don't think so. These vehicles, uh, if you're just listening, uh, have like one, two, three, four, five, like six huge tires on them, like like Jeeps on steroids. Uh, What was that you were saying, Liz? Sultan of Wings has said... Oh, the Sultan of Wings says the Notams may have been turned off. Oh, that's why they were uh, oh, yeah, not expecting possible. the icing. That's why they weren't expecting the unpredictable severe icing. <laughs> yeah. Because we all know that NOTAMs deal exclusively with severe weather of conditions. And the we all of- we also know that NOTAMs are just one thing. Yes, they are. And uh, I, I have it right here. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage. All right. By the way, I'd, I'd like to point out in the uh, translation here that the visibility at the scene is two to three hundred meters. The weather in the area of the hard landing of the AN2 is non-flying. Oh, well, obviously. Well, that's why they had to land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that I think that was the reason for it, it was non-flying hmm. weather. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, and you can't fly in non-flying no. weather. No. By no. so Just that's why work. he crashed. Yeah. All right. Um, Speaking of Russian stuff, Liz is saying to me for a an amazing segue. Uh, let's look at the next item. And uh, Russian flag carrier Aeroflot has told passengers uh, to read a book or try some meditation <laughs> after pulling yeah, its flight movie Chekhov. and television streaming services due to Western sanctions. Uh, don't bother me. Just read a book or something. You know. Entertain mm. yourself. Yeah, entertain yourself. Yes, I can't do a Russian accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how many Russians have you meant? Um, met? I uh, I don't know. They they're just always rushing away from me. I can't <laughs> seem to catch up with them. Uh, I have not met. Well, personally, I've never met a Russian person, as far as I can recall. Oh, yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. Um, anyway, taking to its Telegram social media page, the airline suggested that rather than watching in-flight and entertainment, passengers could instead take stock of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to do that, actually. <laughs> and yeah. perhaps make a wish list or write plans for the new year ahead. The latest sanctions have hit in-flight entertainment services on Aeroflot's narrow-body fleet of Airbus A320 and uh, aircraft and some Boeing 737s, where content is streamed to the passenger's personal mobile device. Aeroflot promised, however, that the refusal of foreign suppliers to provide the service would only temporarily taking take streaming entertainment off the air and that the airline was already working on a domestic solution to get around sanctions. So because of the sanctions, they're Good not able to that. do that. Yeah. I, I love the bit at the bottom there where they mentioned shuttered Starbucks. And that's shuttered, not shattered. Mm-hmm. Starbucks coffee shops were soon rebranded and reopened as Stars Coffee Shops. And McDonald's has been reinvented as... 
Oh, damn, I let's wish I had Let's hear it. You walked right into it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish you I volunteered. You volunteered. <laughs> Go Give for it. Give us your best okay. Russian. Okay, Kuzno i Tochka. Very good. Nailed it. sounds just like McDonald's. <laughs> I do remember stories about McDonald's being one of the, or be, being fairly early to um, pull out. Abandon Russia. After the oh, yeah. conflict began. It was a huge thing when the first McDonald's opened in Red Square. And there were queues round the block. And uh, even though the price of the McDonald's was just horrendous, it, I don't know, it was like a week's wages or something. I'm probably exaggerating enormously. But for, for a Big Mac, you know, it was, it was expensive. You know, there, uh, there's all these stories over here in the United States. McDonald's is like bottom tier, like toss together food. And I, I had heard so many stories about like how over in Europe, it was like, it actually looked like when you got a hamburger, it looked like the picture in like the, it TV looked like a hamburger. Ad. Yeah. Like yep. everything wind well, up does. in the sandwich. Yeah, you should, you should go they, to Tokyo. They look quite nice. Then they got a teriyaki and, uh, burger. And man, we, when we got to France in the, in the goon, we flew until 10.45 one night, because the sun stayed up so long, and the only place that was left open was a McDonald's. And it was tremendously disappointing to go there and get a hamburger that looked exactly like an American <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> my, my favorite, this is an aside that has nothing to do with anything other than McDonald's food not looking like the picture on the advertisements. Um, there was one night, kind of similar story. I think I'd picked my brother up from the airport quite late, like around midnight. And like, that's the only thing open. So hit the drive through a couple of Big Macs, came back. And you know how there's like, a, <laughs> they just hadn't even assembled it correctly. Like the, the, you know how there's an extra slice of bun in the middle of it. They had put those, that one together was like the top bun and then the two pieces of meat together. Like it wasn't even assembled <laughs> properly. <laughs> Uh, I still have a picture of it somewhere. Uh, I love it. But how does it taste? Does it taste like it tasted like a Big Mac? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Anyway. That's what matters. Yeah. Royale with cheese, Mike. Royale with cheese. That's uh that's the pulp fiction reference. Pulp fiction, yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. All right. Let's skip down to one Lima and then we're going to move on out of the news segment. This is uh, from Paddle Your Own Canoe. An Indian airline accidentally Uh-oh. left 55 passengers behind. Oops. After staff forgot that they were still on one of the four buses that were transporting customers to the aircraft. Uh, India civil aviation regulator has reportedly demanded an explanation from the airline over Monday's snafu. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't call it a glitch. Uh, Go first. Uh, 116 was already running about 30 minutes late on Monday when airline staff decided to shut the aircraft doors and get the flight underway, despite the fact that 55 passengers hadn't yet boarded the plane. The Bengaluru, Bengaluru? Bengaluru, yeah. To Delhi flight ended up arriving just 13 minutes late. Yay! Although the 55 forgotten passengers didn't arrive until uh, in Delhi until four hours later, after they were rebooked on a later flight, once staff became aware of what happened. Responding to passenger complaints on Twitter, the airline said... Quote, we regret the inconvenience caused. It remains unclear why the bus didn't make it to the aircraft in time or why the airline didn't wait for the bus to arrive. The airline says it will investigate the incident, but has declined to comment any further on the matter. You know what would get this aircraft out of here on time? 
if we just forgot Cutting about that bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut her up and let's what bus? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out what their load sheet looked like um, because 55 <laughs> passengers is not a, a small No, um, that's a significant era. amount of weight. <laughs> to have on your load sheet. And I, I just want, I mean, were they all the passengers in the back or perhaps all in the front, in which case your centre of gravity <laughs> would be completely cockeyed? Um, and uh, don't the cabin crew just have sort of a look around and go, Excuse me, uh, this seems to be very many passengers on. This was a a number of years ago, but it was not, you know, how things functioned in this country or other countries I'd been to. But let's just say I was in a South American country somewhere, and I had actually purchased tickets for a flight that came with, like, a flight number and a flight time. and got to the airport at a suitable amount of time in advance of the aircraft departing and got to the check-in counter and they said, "Oh, yeah, well, you can just take this one. It's about to go now." Okay. Like they didn't, they didn't matter. It didn't matter. So maybe yeah. they were just, you know, oh, there will just be another flight later, like four hours later. Just send them on that one. If who, not here, here yet. who here believes that Captain or Captain Steph, Doctor Steph, has ever gotten to the airport in a suitable amount of time before the flight? Um, Never, ever. Nobody, everybody, raise your hand who believes that. That's a lie. <laughs> a solid like two hours early. For wow. this flight, oh, uh-huh. that's like a legitimate. Yeah, like how long the which is how I ended up on a completely different flight, and they didn't change the my ticket or anything. They were just like, wow. "Yep, this airplane goes there. Get on it." So I'm curious. This says they were rebooked on a later flight once staff became aware of what happened. Yeah, <laughs> you think the staff became Who aware of these like, the instant they pulled up to the like the slot where the airplane was supposed to there's be a, and then it left know, or do you think they drove around for like half an hour and they're like I'm looking for an airplane yeah. you know there's a, the, the population of india is quite large so <laughs> okay and uh, i don't know about india but if uh, we had a passenger no show and their bags were on the aircraft take the bags off uh, we had to take their bags off it was a legal requirement now, we couldn't in, go in the us company bags yeah if it's domestic uh, they don't have doesn't to do matter. that doesn't matter yeah, yeah. <laughs> If, if your bags yeah, are staying in the country, yeah. your bags could go anywhere. Good luck. Yep. Okay. I, I will Fair say enough. one positive for this airline company is if you're going to make a mistake like this, uh, it makes a lot of sense to have the name of your airline not match the livery of your airline, which <laughs> I don't know if this, not 100% sure this picture is correct, but their airplane says Go Air. Yeah. And the name of the airline is Go Flight. Uh oh! Mm. Uh, assist in the confusion. Yeah. 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 Huh. I'm sorry. Go first. Yeah. Okay. Go air and well, go first. Or just a journalism mistake, as per usual. Yeah, it could be. Mm. Okay. Who yeah. knows? I thought go air was that medication you took for when you were feeling a bit bloated. <laughs> yeah. Go air. Bye air. Um. Nick, we uh, understand that you need to leave us. Nixie, Nixie. Nick, uh, yes. Nick Camacho. Yeah, Nixie. All right, uh, because um, we're, we'll, we'll say goodbye and then we're going to move to the plane tail so that we can get Nicka in bed, so to speak. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nixie. So, thank you oh. so much, uh, Nixie, yep. for joining us today on uh, the first uh, half of the. Uh, Nixie, uh, the first half of the flight, and uh, 
we really appreciate your input um, and it, you know experience. When you say thanks for joining us, the first half of the flight, you make it sound like I'm jumping out of an airplane. Oh, I'm sorry. The first <laughs> half of the, did I say flight? I mean, he did say flight. He's just so used to giving PAs. I am. I'm sorry that you're having a, such a bad time on this flight. On the first half of the flight, and yeah. on the second half of the flight, you won't be with us any longer. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, All right. Hey, it was good to see y'all. We'll see you next time. Great to see you too. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, It is now we're going to do things a little bit out of order. Normally we do our getting to know us segment, but we're going to play this week's plain tale from the old pilot. And it's one of our favorite episodes, which is the uh, R.A. off. Title in on his intro. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> all right, all. Liz is saying something to me, and I'm trying to understand what she's saying, and then that just came out wrong, completely wrong. Sorry. What, what Liz? For the first time ever, Roger actually fit the title of these. I can't laugh intro. too much because that happens to me regularly oh. when I'm trying to like dictate things on the voice to text dictation, us. and same things happening like someone's talking to me, or I'm like reading here and saying something else. It happened. So you're off the hook. Thank you. I appreciate it. So what Liz was saying that Roger is, is Roger still with us in the uh, live audience? I don't audience? think so, I seen him was. for a while. Okay, he was here uh, earlier. Anyway, he was very proud because he was able to fit the entire title, title. of yeah. the oh, wow. Plain Tale episode in the intro, which mm-hmm. Nick didn't hear because he wasn't here at the time. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you can listen hear. to it after the fact. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you, Radio Roger, for doing that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And now, without further ado... We're going to not the R R A R O F, but the R A F form four one four, volume nineteen. Here we go. Not easy for me to say. The old pilot's plain tales. R A F form four one four, a volume nineteen. I left you at the end of my FA-18 conversion course as we reformed number 77 Royal Australian Air Force Squadron with their brand new Hornets. So far our one and only aircraft, A-21-5, was being shared around and everyone wanted a piece of it, either to fly or to learn how to fix it. The squadron execs were pretty busy dealing with the job of getting the new squadron personnel squared away, so the rest of us got more than our share of flying. There wasn't much we could do with a single jet, but I was happy to just play with a multi-million dollar toy and get used to my new home. Willie, as RAAF base Williamtown was usually referred to, was about 80 miles north of Sydney the home of the nearest other RAAF base, Richmond, which housed various transport units, mainly Herks. I spent a trip visiting our other diversions, which were small municipal airports, several of which were unmanned. What was commonplace for someone who grew up flying in Australia, the United States or perhaps Canada, was an anathema for me. The United Kingdom has many airfields, but only the smallest, which would be unsuitable for fighter jets anyway, didn't have at least a tower to chat to. Now I had to learn to make position and intention broadcasts on a common frequency, with the only reply coming from some bug smasher that might be in the pattern. At night I also had to remember to turn the runway lights on, achieved with a sequence of radio blips on a particular frequency, 
and then hit the clock so I'd know when they would turn out again. When I asked what fire cover these places had, the Aussies replied, what part of unmanned don't you understand? In other words, should one of my untamed carrier landings end in flames, I would have to hope that somebody noticed and then wait for the local fire brigade to turn out. We'd been going for nearly a month when the second aircraft, A21-2, arrived. Now we had someone to play with. It was like a lonely dog getting a friend, and we would fly around each other in ever-decreasing circles, having fun. Apart from a few bombing sorties, we did an entire month of 1v1 intercepts and combat. Great fun. The bombing was also fun, since we were ringing the changes a bit and trying all sorts of deliveries, from level laydown attacks at low level to 45-degree dive bombing, both day and night. I seem to recall that those high-level night dive attacks provided a moderately high level of adrenaline, but not as much as strafe. I've neglected to mention that the Hornet's M61A1 Vulcan cannon could be used for more than just drilling holes in a Hessian banner. It could be fired at the ground. Of course, there was always a question in my mind as to the wisdom of getting a very expensive fighter aircraft very close to the enemy, where you risked being brought down by a kid with four weeks training and a cheap old AK-47. The cost-benefits didn't seem to balance, but that wasn't really the point. It wasn't like the A-10's mighty cannon that reached out over miles and turned people into stone for just glancing at it. The Hornet had a capable enough gun, so we needed to learn how to use it. We strafed from low-angle dives, just 10 or 15 degrees, and the radar gave the range countdown in the gun sight, so we knew when to fire. Like anyone who knows how to shoot well, the trick was to get into a groove and fly the aircraft very smoothly as rough poling sprayed the rounds far and wide. All that was then required was to get into range, fire a good burst, and recover! This, I guess, is the time to make a confession. You had to get very close, about a thousand feet, to get a meaningful score, and at 400 knots or so, the ground came up pretty quick. Once the burst was done, it needed a 4 or 5G pull to get away and recover from the dive without getting a low height warning from the range safety officer. And even so, it was quite likely that the jet wash would kick up sand from around the target. Go below 50 feet and you got yourself a warning. Do it twice and you were sent home. The difference between a clean firing burst and frightening yourself was remarkably small. What's more, there was always the risk of ricochet damage. Behind the target, with its acoustic scoring device, was a sandbank to contain the rounds, but there was always the chance our 20mm shells would bounce off one fired previously and leap back into the air for us to collect as we flew over the target. This was one of the reasons we flew right-hand patterns, since the Vulcan cannon rounds tend to spin off to the left. Those who excelled at strafe seemed fearless and earned my admiration. Three months went by, and suddenly the squadron seemed awash with jets. Well, another three or four arrived. 
and I got to participate in my first exercise, Cope Rasha. The name reflected the fact that there were some F-111s taking part, which the Australians like to call the pig. We made up some packages from a mix of hornets, some of the last mirages, a few Mackie jet trainers, a small herd of pigs, and then ran at each other. What the score was, I can't remember, but this was followed by some 4v4 combat, all in the aid of a deployment by our sister squadron, Number 3 Squadron, who were leading a bunch of hornets taking part in a major multi-nation exercise in the Philippines, Cope Thunder. This would be the first time the Aussies had shown off their new fighters, so a select number of the most experienced pilots were chosen, mainly from 3 Squadron. My boss explained that although I couldn't go all the way with the deployment, I was going to take a spare aircraft up as far as Darwin on the north coast, in case one of the others broke on the way. I duly manned up and joined a formation, making up the fourth aircraft, and we set off to the northwest towards our midway refuelling stop in a mining town called Mount Isa. The town was, to quote a common colloquialism, beyond the black stump, the back of Burke, or in the gaffer. All refer to somewhere in the vast outback beyond the remote town of Burke, where wildfires leave blackened stumps of trees, and in the great Australian Ethel. The town of Burke is actually named after Fort Burke, itself named for Sir Richard Burke, a governor in the mid-1800s, and not, as I thought, after Burke of Burke and Will's fame. This pair of European explorers led an expedition to find an inland route between South Australia and the North Coast. They died malnourished and exhausted despite being nurtured by the Cooper Creek Aborigines when Burke foolishly shot his pistol at one of them. The Aborigines left them to their own devices and within a month they had both perished. Mount Isa was founded by a lone prospector, John Miles, who came across an outcrop of yellow-black rocks that turned out to have high levels of lead, silver, copper and zinc. He staked his claim in what turned out to be one of the world's most productive single mines in history. As far as we were concerned, the town had a suitable airfield to land at and refuel. There were, however, a couple of potential hiccups. The ramp could only accommodate four hornets at a time, and the place was scorchingly hot. This meant we had a window to cycle our aircraft through before the next four-ship would arrive, and that it was going to be a trifle uncomfortable, heat-wise. Daytime temperatures regularly got above 40 degrees centigrade, 104 Fahrenheit, and this day was no exception. After negotiating the massive chimneys, one of which rose to a thousand feet, about a mile off the centre line, in the claggy red dust that rose from the mine, we played follow my leader as we backtracked to the entrance of the apron. I lifted the big canopy to let my sweat dry a bit and was met by a wall of heat straight out of Dante's Inferno. I slammed it back down again so I could enjoy what little advantage the air conditioning could provide for a few seconds more as we squeezed onto the little patch of concrete. 
Once it became inevitable, I opened up and climbed out across the wing and onto the tank so I could safely jump down. The aircraft was already so hot that I had to put my gloves back on so I could touch it. There was nobody available to turn us round, so we did it ourselves, opening panels and checking quantities and pressures, but all was good as the aircraft had been well prepped at Willy, and there was no need for replenishments apart from fuel. While I waited for the Bowser, I checked the maintenance fault codes from the reader and filled out the turnaround paperwork. The refueler arrived, connected his hose and static lead, and I confirmed the delivery pressure. By now, my flight suit was dark green, soaked with sweat, as I watched the fuel come aboard when I heard the distinctive clack of high heels behind me. I turned to see a vision of beauty as a young flight attendant in a crisp starched blouse and miniskirt which emphasised her swaying hips emerged like a mirage through the heat haze rising from the concrete. She had apparently stepped out of a nearby executive jet and on her upheld hand was a small shining tray holding a tall ice-filled glass of Coca-Cola condensation misting the sides. She grinned and said, "'Geez, mate, you look a little warm.' The flight on to Darwin went smoothly, and an hour after landing we were in the mess bar downing a cold tinny. At that time the airfield beside the capital of the Northern Territories was a shared military and civil base, which housed Number 75 Squadron, the last remaining Mirage unit. Darwin had a great history that started with the Dutch in the 1600s, continued with the British when HMS Beagle visited, and was named for the renowned naturalist Charles Darwin. It suffered many attacks from the Japanese, which commenced when 188 Japanese warplanes from the same fleet that had previously bombed Pearl Harbor swept over the town in two waves. They unloaded more ordnance than had been dropped on the American base, resulting in by far the most serious level of damage on Australia at that time of the war. After pinching a few components from my aircraft, the rest of the chaps departed north towards Indonesia, whilst I took my lone hornet to the south. My boss had suggested that I take the opportunity to return to Willy the long way round, a sort of circumnavigation of Australia. He got one of the Australian pilots to write me a handful of flight plans, not something we ever did in the UK, give me a quick briefing and I was left to my own devices. I planned to take a look at Uluru, which some of you may know as Ayers Rock, and then drop into Alice Springs to refuel. Then I'd head west to Pierce Air Force Base near Perth in Western Australia, where I could catch up with my father over the weekend, before coming home across the Great Australian Bight into RAAF Base Edinburgh near Adelaide, and then a final hop back to Willie. Heading down to the enormous sandstone Inselberg, I crossed some of the most remarkable and beautiful parts of Australia within the Kakadu National Park. 
a vast protected area of diverse ecosystems, including extensive areas of savanna woodlands, open forest, floodplains, mangroves, tidal mudflats, coastal areas and monsoon forests. Even from my height, I could see the enormous Arnhem Land Plateau, from which its ancient sea cliffs gave birth to huge waterfalls. This magic land petered out into the now familiar red desert of the interior as I let down towards the ancient rock that is Uluru. This island mountain is a monolith that, like an iceberg, is larger beneath the surface than above. With its origin in the Neo-Proterozoic period, it is half a billion years old, and originally laid down as horizontal layers of sand. It was pushed into a vertical position during a later period of geologic upheaval and mountain building. I cruised around taking photos and carefully avoiding the sightseeing aircraft that were carrying other tourists because I numbered myself amongst them. The massive edifice looked as impressive as I had hoped, but before long I had to head off to Alice Springs as my fuel was getting a bit low. Sequencing the inertial waypoints to the one I'd set up at my destination, I climbed and headed off to the northeast for the 200-mile transit. As I approached, I descended to a couple of thousand feet as I angled towards the airfield, looking for the runway, when I glanced down at my moving map. On it I could see a small red circle, just off my intended track, that indicated some kind of sensitive area to be avoided. I had no idea what it might be, as nobody had bothered to mention it when we were planning, and anyway, I was going to miss it. I guess everyone assumed that I had somehow heard of the one and only permanent piece of prohibited airspace in the entire continent of Australia. I'd been peering ahead looking for the airfield, but as I went past I dropped my wing to see if I could spot whatever this little red circle protected. In the UK there were an absolute myriad of such avoidance areas, and try as we might, we often accidentally busted them, so when the wing moved aside to reveal a cluster of white golf balls, not, as I expected, a few miles off to one side, but directly underneath me, I only felt a little pang of guilt when I realised the inertial navigation system must have drifted off a few miles. I was blithely ignorant of the place they called Pine Gap, or more properly, the Joint Defence Space Research Facility, known by the U.S. National Security Agency as Rainfall, part of their Five Eyes secret echelon surveillance program. There is little doubt that the place is an intelligence-gathering facility partly run by the CIA, and, as I was about to learn, it is shrouded in secrecy. Alice was on runway 12, so I angled my track to arrive on a right-hand initial for a military-style run-and-break into the circuit. Within a few minutes, 
I had broken into Alice's pattern at 450 knots, doing it the proper way, with a climbing 4G turn with air brakes to kill the speed and arrive at the end of the downwind leg at circuit height and approach speed. I spun my aircraft up into a tight finals turn and with gear and flaps configured, settled it down onto the runway. Taxiing in with my elbows on the canopy rails, feeling on top of the world, I had no idea that within a few short hours my aircraft would have been impounded and I would be having a very long chat with men in dark suits who didn't seem to be enjoying my sense of humour. But that, as they say, is a story for another day. We don't really uh, appreciate your sense of humor either. Yeah. I don't know. I appreciated that <laughs> approach description, though. That would sound like some fun flying right there. I'd do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't blame you when it comes to sense of humor. But uh, the standard uh, Air Force run and break was to arrive uh, down the runway or just on the dead side at around 400, 450 knots, and then you slam the throttle shut, full air brake, mm-hmm. pitch, pitch up, up. Uh, to circuit height, mm-hmm. and try and uh, arrive from that turn at the end of the downwind leg, fully configured, and then all you had to do was fly finals and land. I'm familiar. That's the idea. I mean, not with 450 knots. That's a little fast. 450 knots. A little bit high for Well, I must admit, we used to to laugh a bit at uh, Lucas because we had a university air squadron there who flew the little bulldog, a little propeller-driven trainer. And they used to try and copy the same thing, except when they started the pitch out, they used full power <laughs> so they could climb <laughs> to the end of the downward leg, which kind of spoilt the effect a little. Just need to shorten their downwind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So, I'm I'm thinking I might just go straight into uh, another one of these tales just to finish off the story because oh yeah, you have. Well, you to. can't leave us hanging there, right? <laughs> we want to know what was discussed. I just love these RAF form. Uh, 414, a veritable cornucopia of Nick's aviation <laughs> adventures. Misdemeanors. Well, <laughs> it involves a lot of misdemeanors in there. Yeah. I'm Actually, sure we I haven't have heard the say, end of it. <laughs> no, you haven't. Because I, I, I really on, honestly don't know how the Aussies put up with me. <laughs> I put up so many blacks during my three years there that, uh, you know, oh, it became something of an embarrassment for me. So uh, and them this too. was just one of the first, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, that was that was very. I mean, I uh, so much in there. Uh, it's it's awesome. Thank you for doing another one of those. Well, they were uh, very generous to me, giving me an airplane just to go around Australia, and I thought it was brilliant. And then, yeah. uh, of course, by the time I got back to Willie. All hell had broken loose. I'm not kidding. And, and I was just a bit bemused, but I'll tell it all in the next. I can't wait to hear that. I am looking forward to it. <laughs> I've been to, uh, the, of all those places you mentioned, well, I've been to Darwin and, um, was it Richmond, I think? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, uh, Richmond, yeah, the transport base, yes. Yeah. All right. Very, Very good, good, actually, because uh, Darwin, I loved it. It's such a... A sort of wild west town mm-hmm. not big but uh full of character yeah and uh wild west. famous Yeehaw! beer 
Yeah. <laughs> you could buy a Darwin Stubby because normally the, the little short beers that uh, the Aussies drank was, were called a Stubby. Mm. But in Darwin, they were twice the size of anywhere else in Australia. Wow. <laughs> they drank so much and so fast. It's like those Foster's cans that we have in the U.S. Mm. Then you talk. Uh, yeah. We've, we've done that on our show, talking about Foster's lager. And yeah, we people get a lot of Australia grief go. from that. Yeah, they what are you Australians talking about? do what not is, like Foster's. What is they hate it. Yes. They usually, most of the time, they go, what is that? What are you talking about? Yeah, because no <laughs> one drinks it in Australia. Yeah. Well, back in the 80s, they did. Yeah, that's true, yeah. All right. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, it's time to get to know us. Thank you, Nick, for the uh, plain tale. Oh, you're welcome. Da-da-da-dum-dum, ba-dum-dum. Get it to like us or hate us your choice by the way i'm offended uh the uh i'm offended at airlinepilotguide.com is actually working active. now yes it's oh, active wow. Excellent. i'm offended at Airline <laughs> you shouldn't have actually mentioned that jeff you know we're gonna get people writing now i know but it's just gonna go to my they mailbox anyway. so i'll just go you know put, put it in the trash yeah yeah they're right anyway you're right stuff okay <laughs> Uh, Nick, we're going to get uh, some updates from you, and then you're going to leave us and get some sleep. Yeah. Uh, sure, yes. Uh, uh, what's, yeah. What What have you been up to? Obviously, uh, bowling um, or doing your bowls. Yeah, good match balls. tonight. Uh, we we, um, we won by 28 shots to Whoa. six, I think. So um, a <laughs> bit of a one-sided game, but great fun. Uh, weather here has suddenly taken a turn for the very cold, impressive. the worst, because we've had some quite warm conditions, very pleasant. You know, getting up to 10, 11, 12, 13 degrees centigrade, um, you know, a lot of rain. And wow. that's been the problem tonight. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. You're quite right. Um, because the ground, everything is so wet. That uh, we we this morning rained terribly, and and the the roads are just awash, particularly the country lanes where, uh, you know, they don't have proper drainage. Uh, so when the temperatures suddenly went to like minus four tonight, everything's frozen over. So it's a bit dangerous out there. So if you are driving, please be careful. Um, and hence my late arrival, I had to try and find some main roads to get home. Well, oh. we're glad you did. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, um, and I'm glad I didn't quite go off the road. I very nearly went off the road. <laughs> quite <laughs> came around a corner and hit an unexpectedly Sorry, slippery piece of road, and I was only doing about twenty miles an hour. Doesn't matter. I, it's still terrifying. Oh, absolutely. Like, ah! I could, I just absolutely nothing I could do. I was just, uh, I was just now a ballistic missile heading towards the grass bank, but. Luckily, we came to a halt before then. Anyway, I made it back. Well, we were a little worried you'd have to spend the uh, evening at the Bowls Club, and I'm sure there's <laughs> yeah. nothing to drink there. What would you have ever They've done? got a nice bar. Oh, uh, there you we go. could have oh. done that. Just yeah. fine. Exactly right. And I'm sure someone could have whistled up some McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, no, uh, that's fine. That's that's been my uh, my my couple of days since Come the last show. Nothing special at all. Uh, and um, the following week um we've got a pub quiz tomorrow which is oh, always good fun yeah. jeff's come to one of our pub quizzes. yeah I, I look forward to doing that again yeah when uh, i when i move we, uh, when i retire and 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 move in 
with the uh, Andersons. <laughs> yes. We're going to have a lot of fun. Well, every you'll week. be at every weekly pub quiz. <laughs> yes. And uh, tomorrow they're um, cutting the trees around the um, electricity power lines that yeah, serve up. our small area. Hmm. And they, because the trees might fall on the power lines, they're going to turn off the power. So we've got to... Freezing temperatures and we'll have no heating tomorrow. Thank you very much indeed. So they're going to do what they're afraid that they could possibly do, maybe. They're just going to make sure it's done. maybe do anyway because everything's frozen. Exactly. Uh, And uh, they could, of course, they could have done this in the summer. Yeah, why don't they do this in like July? (laughs) There you go. Or even May might be better. But no, they've chosen the middle of winter. I guess without the leaves on the trees makes it simpler. So uh, I probably won't better do any work tomorrow on uh, on the next artwork. Uh, but uh, well, tell anyway, us about was, the previous show's artwork. Yeah, I was just going to mention that, and yeah. thank you very much indeed for whoever came up with the uh, dressing my props, <laughs> which I think is something Nixie. people do when they sort of Nixie stand their props exam. up. So they yeah, all and Nick, Nick Camacho was telling us that that was uh, one of the one of tasks. tasks. That he had to perform for his. Uh, so you know, if you get like a big Nick in the not a Nick like Nick Anderson or Nixie, Nick Nixie, <laughs> um, you know, but a ding in, in a prop, then you file it down and. Did you say it oh, that's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Very much. So. Anyway, I, I took that literally. Uh, so we. I got see a, you did. <laughs> we've got a. <laughs> we have some dressed up props. Yeah, yeah. Very with a, a but, couple uh, of props uh, dressed up like a couple of Wild West gals uh-huh. in their fancy gear <laughs> and their hats and lipstick and everything. Yeah, I, I like their boots actually. I found some really mm-hmm. nice boots for them. Oh, uh-huh, you did. Yes, very, very sexy. Props. Turn of the last century. <laughs> very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, um, I, I, I don't know if Lick, um, Nick knows Lockie, uh, this uh, particular DC-3 or C-47. I can never really tell without looking at the big hmm. doors at the back as to what uh, they are. But anyway, this one's an Acme Airways one, so that's, that's oh, yeah, hence that. the artwork. Okay. And if anyone's looking for the show number, just look in the blue stripe behind yeah, the Acme. Uh, Lisa, she oh, saw okay. it. She found it. Yeah, I did. Oh, did she? Good. I yeah. didn't try. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to go with Stowaway right. for the next one, right? Yeah. Go so, artwork. Now, any suggestions for um, well, this one? Uh, let's see. Captain Jeff Stowaway and Wet Farts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wet. <laughs> My Wet Farts? Or no. Please don't associate that with me. Yeah, a little cartoon. Oh, sorry, that was well, what starts. Right. So, so Liz, I'm going to bring you in. All right, here she is. She had a su- suggestion. I think it was a stowaway. Uh, oh, yeah, a little uh, cartoon stowaway there in your wheel well, Nick. Oh, that would be a very easy one to yeah, do. Yeah, let's do it easy, easily for you. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what are we actually going to call the show? Stowaway. Stowaway. Yeah. Well, if, or else if you can think of something else, but or found you. Found you. Stowaway. <laughs> yes. And, uh, although I must admit, wet farts has uh, a certain mm. attraction. I mean, that was my Not to me, they don't. Through. No, no, I don't. <laughs> not attractive at all. Well, Nick and I I'm are, tra- you know, we're oh, like five years old. it was wet starts. It was wet starts. Yes, wet starts. Mm-hmm. Oh, wet starts and wet farts. 
<laughs> what so, starts uh, or farts? Jet engine. That's uh, what Tim misheard. Yes, Tim wet needs, coming out of it. Tim needs his hearing aid adjusted. Yeah, Tim needs to get new hearing aids. Mm-hmm, exactly. Oh, it was Tim. Yeah, that's typical. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, have a good <laughs> night, Nick. Thanks for getting home safely. Oh, well, <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> Any brilliant, and uh, you have good rest of the show, and see you next week. All right, Thanks. great. Good. Good, Get night. A good night's sleep. Our best to Jilly and the dogs. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Cheerio, bye. Cheers. Bye. All right. Okay. She well, doing, she sounds like she's been busy. Dr. Steph, uh, what have you? I know it's only been a few days since we. It has been a few days. Uh, had, but. Uh, had you on the show before, but have you done anything interesting? So I had a um, impromptu get together with a community member of ours. Oh. Yes. I believe you know him. He's the other Jeff, Colonel Jeff. Hmm. The good looking. Wait a minute. I don't know anybody Jeff. that's good looking <laughs> named Jeff. <laughs> well, he, um, uh, you know, uh, doing his new gig, non airline flying. Um, Kind of interesting, and I'm sure he'll tell us more about it at some point, but it sounds like he doesn't always really know where he's going to be at the end of each day, but on Friday, the end of his day was happened to be Charlotte. So he sent a message and said, hey, if you're around, want to grab food, a beverage, something along those lines? And I said, yeah, that'll work. I'm uh, at an office not too far from where your hotel is near the airport, and we should go get some barbecue and beer. So that's what we did. We had a very nice... um, catch up and talked for a couple hours and had a couple beers and had a little bit of barbecue and some other good southern sides so it was define it was really a nice couple of beers um four i talked with jeff by the way um <laughs> i know last night i'm aware <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, he uh, was actually in atlanta um the following yes, yes. night and uh, unfortunately i was kind of busy with all the stuff I'm doing usually on the on the weekend, so I wasn't able to meet up with him. But anyway, go ahead, Steph. Didn't mean to. Yeah, interrupt. no. I mean, I was just gonna say it was it was really nice to see him and catch up with him. It'd been a while. We were trying to remember the last time we'd actually had a chance to see each other in person, and think it was maybe all the way back to when he did his um, final flight mm-hmm. um, for his airline, um, retiring at the age of sixty five. Um, so it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, can you believe mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. No, doesn't seem that long ago. And I, mm-hmm. apparently. You uh, own an item that belongs to him, and I do as well. I do. And, you know, had I known before I left for work that morning that he was going to be in town, I would have returned it to him. Yeah. But I did not get that notification that early in the day. So, alas, I still have it. Yeah, I still have uh, his hat. I want you to wear it to work. (laughs) All wrapped up in in plastic. And no, Liz, I cannot wear it to work. But maybe... or maybe my retirement day. day. Your my retirement flight. Wear an American Airlines captain hat. <laughs> and people go, what? Um, yeah. But no, it was really nice. And um wish y'all could have been there. But well, he's um, a great guy. I'm glad he got in touch. And yeah, I mean, you know, he's one of those people that's always like just getting together with one of your oldest friends and just conversation for as long as you want to have conversation for and interesting topics and mm-hmm. good company. You know, the school kids at uh, St. Benedict's in uh, London really love Jeff as well. We love you, Captain Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll pretend that's for him, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. They like him better. But we do love Colonel Jeff. He's yes, a great we guy. Do. We do. What have you it, been doing, Jeff? What have I been doing? And, no yeah, and I don't, I don't have any, I don't, literally don't have anything else. Um, you can 
if you're watching the um, video version, you probably noticed that I actually have cleaned up some of the mess around my house. Oh, yeah, you have. I've spent a lot of time doing Looking that. Nice. So, yeah, still um, a lot of stuff to kind of go through and donate and, you know, mm-hmm. reduce the amount of clutter that I've accumulated over time is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, it's looking good. Thanks. It's getting there. Yeah. Work in progress. All right. A few more rooms to go. I'll get there. Yeah. Nothing but time, right? I guess. Okay. Right. Uh, let's see. For me, uh, did my normal, um, you know, singing stuff that I do on Saturday and Sunday. Singing and editing. Singing and editing. It's, that's my life on Saturday and Sundays, usually. And uh, let's the see. Show out last night. I did. I, I w- well, yeah, very late last night. I was yeah, able to get the, the show published. Um, and you might wonder why? Why were you up so late last night, Captain Jeff? Why were you up so late last so, night, Captain Jeff? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, and this is not, you know, people know me know that I don't like flying at night, or you know, I, I fly when it's dark or. Like early in the morning, you know, that's night flying. But, you know, you know. There's something about the beginning of the day where, you know, it it is different. And so when you're flying late in the night, you've been up all day, you know, you you got up at seven in the morning or something like that. And it's, you know, but Brent convinced me that this was worth flying at night because you fly one leg on Sunday night and then you're off all day the next day, which is today, Monday. And then we fly two legs tomorrow and then one leg on the last day on Wednesday, back home really nice and early. And I thought, hmm, okay. And he said, oh, yeah, I should mention that he's involved in his church. And he, uh, he said, he might, I might be running a little bit later than you know norm, I normally do uh, because of the stuff going on at his church. And I went, no problem. I'll take care of it. I'll get in, get all the stuff done, do the walk around, do all the flight plan all the pre-flight stuff and loading the box and all that kind of stuff. And I said, all you have to do is just show up, you know, get settled in. We'll run a checklist or two and then get on out of here. And so everything was running just perfect. And uh, we, it was a beautiful night, um, cold, but clear skies and heading up here to Burlington, Vermont. And, um, and it, it was Good weather, it was clear skies, not too bad of a wind, a little bit of a crosswind. And uh, we uh, landed on the runway. We're being, we were very careful taxiing back to, get in? To, the, uh, to the ramp and the gate area. We landed uh, about 10 after 11 o'clock. Uh, the tower here doesn't close until midnight, so we didn't have to mess with the non-tower procedures and that kind of thing. And um, pull up to the gate. And boom, set the brakes, you know, parking brakes set, engines shut down. Let's get to the uh, ready the, to get some get some rest. Yeah, shut down checklist. Warm that way's coming or? up. I can see it in my peripheral vision. It's coming up, it's getting closer, getting closer. And then it gets to about five or six feet from the front door and it stops. And I can tell that there's some commotion going on in there, and there's several people in the jetway and they're like talking on their phones and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. Something's wrong with the jetway, the jet bridge. And I'm thinking, well, I'm sure that uh, somebody will be able to tell me what's happening. Um, Yeah. uh, Nobody bothered to communicate with us at all. 
and we're calling them on the company frequency, you know, hey, you know, could you somebody please tell us what's happening? And after a bunch of phone calls and looking around, then they move the jetway back. And I'm I'm assuming it's just because the we, the wheels are trying to are, are getting to a point with the ice covered ramp that they can't get enough friction, enough traction to get us that extra five or six feet. I'm making all these PAs to the passengers like, well, I can't really, I don't know for sure. I'm, I'm just basing this on what I'm looking at out the window because nobody is co- communicating with us. Uh, this is what's happening. We're all alone. And uh, and then all of a sudden it just, they, they retract the jet bridge like, I don't know, 30, 40 feet away. I'm thinking, hmm. Then they're like laying cones out, like a. Why didn't you put the slides out? Show a. Um, what'd you say? Why didn't you oh, put, put the. Slides why out? did I put the slides out? Well, you know, at some point I may have, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I wasn't at that point of frustration yet, Liz. And uh, so I was, yeah, I was, and people, people that know me know that I don't really get upset very easily. But there is a certain You're threshold tired. that I reach where I and, I, and it's the end of the day and I'm very tired, yes. And uh, so I'm continuing to try to update the passengers with information that I don't know and I'm making up basically because nobody's communicating with me. And um, so then um, I think, well, I'm wondering if they're going to find some air stairs to bring up to the front door. That makes sense because the cones look like they're kind of leading to the building. Like a walkway. Okay. Yeah, like a walkway. Yeah. Um, Liz is asking if there is another gate that we could have gone to. No, uh, apparently. We're, so I finally started talking to uh, uh, Tower uh, Ground Control, and I said, "Is hey, you know, not much going on that time of evening in Burlington." I said, uh, "Do uh, do you have any? Do you have a way to communicate with the company over here and see? You know, ask them to try to talk to us to see what was going on." He goes, "Well, he's a. I'll, hang on, I'll, I'll see what I can find out." And he comes back. He goes, "Okay, well, operations." says that they're trying to find there's a jetway i guess we weren't the uh, only uh gate that was having issues with the jetway it was kind of cold it was like 16 degrees 15 something like that not super cold but i mean burlington vermont i mean heck it's not that's that kind of normal in January, montreal you know? yeah it's pretty pretty chilly up here usually anyway um so uh and then and then i noticed and i could see out the window through the basement of this terminal building, some people walking, you know, like passengers going to, you know, being offloaded off whatever gate that they were at on the other side of the terminal building. I'm thinking, well, that's good. That's, that's positive. Maybe, maybe they only have one set of stairs and they're going to get everybody off there, that airplane and bring the stairs over here to our airplane. And, uh, and then finally, so finally uh, I call our dispatcher. I said, is there any way you can call somebody to like, just talk to us, just please Please communicate, communicate with us. And, you know, we talk about that all the time here. Communication is so important. And uh, so finally, I see one of the agents walking over on the ramp toward the uh, the operations uh, area. And I'm thinking, okay, make let, let's make a call right now. So I said, you know, operations, Acme 724, you know, uh, hello, anybody there? Finally, oh, yeah. Uh, and then she's, conti- you know, tells me what's going on. And, and I said, you know, we, we've been, the, by now we've been there for 45 minutes. Wow. Jeez. And, and I said, you know, we, we've been communicating, she said, oh, we've, we've been trying to communicate with you for like last 15, 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, no, you How? haven't. You're lying. Because I've had the 
radio on Carrier and pigeon? the speaker on. Nobody, and we've called several times. And then she goes, "Well, well, we we have a solution now." I mean, it was like, "Okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, you got me. I didn't. I'm lying. <laughs> we didn't try to communicate <laughs> with you." But I was just like, "What a bold-faced huh? lie! Why? Why?" Oh, yeah. You know, like just say, "Hey, sorry, yeah, we should have communicated." No, yeah, we've been trying to get in touch with you the last last fifteen minutes. Mm, no, you haven't. Yeah, that that really kind of that's what really kind of tripped my. That really, mm, fried your I'm bacon. not happy with you, and they mm-hmm. knew it. Mm-hmm. And so finally, uh, I said, "Oh yeah, well, we finally found some air stairs that will fit the Boeing seven seventeen that aren't frozen." <laughs> so <laughs> they borrowed some. I guess air that's important. You don't from want United. To and so they, they bring it over, and I could see it over there on the other side of the airplane. They bring it up, and and then of course it's just covered with snow because it had been snowing all day, and so it took them a while to get all there. And they were treating the, fall down the stairs. yeah. I'm thinking, great, you know, we're going to have injuries with people, you know, falling off the air stairs and everything. Anyway, we finally got the door open, got the people off. Nobody fell down the stairs. Thank, thank goodness. goodness. Thank goodness. No wheelchairs or anything. No, or no like, that's one of the things uh, I asked the uh, alien. I said, do we? Do, Please tell me we don't have any wheelchairs. And she said, "Nope, just one unaccompanied minor." And I went, "Oh, thank you." Thank so we got everybody off, and um, and got <laughs> we got ourselves off the airplane, and you know, battened the hatches and got it, you know, set for, you have to wait for the overnight. Very well, long. so while we were doing the latter stages of this, and people were actually getting off the airplane, I asked Brent, "Hey, could you call the transportation company just to make sure they haven't left?" Because, you know, they've probably been sitting out there for a while wondering what the heck is going on. And, um, and then I said, never mind. I, I got it on my phone. So I called. And this guy is like all up in, in my, you know, like in my face on the phone saying, you know, I've been here for over an hour. And I, I've been going, well, yeah, I know. We've been so here. Have we've I. <laughs> and so when we got out to the, uh, to the van, uh, it's a taxi company. The guy was like yelling at us, and I'm going, okay. Oh, that we don't. I, I don't. People from Vermont were nice. I well. I've been like, sir. Hmm. Yeah, I. At that point, I was. I, I'm thinking, I'm not going to say anything because I'm just going to. It's going to make matters worse. So we just all got in. We just kind of ignored him and his yelling. We got in the van, and he just drove us to the hotel. And I'm thinking. Oh, not leaving you this to evening going to end. Buddy. He's con- he's talking. Somebody calls him while he's in. I think probably his wife or something, and he's saying, "Yeah, I've been here for an hour and twenty minutes." And blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, mm, I want to say something, but I'm not going to say something. Nope. No, there's we better channels to, to deal with that. Yeah, so problem. we were supposed to be. We should have been at the hotel by about eleven thirty, and it was after one o'clock when we finally got here. So, oh, and I, I kept saying to Brent, I said, "So, whose idea was it to do this yeah. trip again?" <laughs> You weren't rubbing it in, were you? Yeah, I wasn't rubbing it in at all. It was anyway. his. So that was my story. Um, so, so far. Craig Messerman's asking a question here. Oh, Craig Messerman is asking a question. Does the 717 have a flight deck window that opens? Yes, but there was no one ever within earshot for me to yeah, uh, to communicate. And it was very, very cold. Um but uh, yeah, actually, I did open it uh, at one one time and yelled out the window, but nobody was seemingly he- could hear me. Um, yeah, and then I'm thinking I really wish that we were in the Mad Dog because we had uh, air, aft air stairs that we could have uh-huh. lowered right. and we yeah, could have yeah, yeah. gotten everybody out Just that did. way. Don't have that um, that uh, option on the 717. They didn't put air stairs in the back, but uh, built in oh. aft air stairs. But anyway, I don't mean to complain. That this was uh, this was not. It was made me 
I was very frustrated. It was less night. than ideal. It was less than ideal for sure. So hopefully did you everything will. Sleep? Did you I did get a good night's sleep. Yes, Liz. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I uh, didn't get up until nine o'clock. Yay! Good. In the, this morning, I had a nice breakfast with uh, Brent, and then uh, started working on the show. Mm. Just got the yeah, show out, as you mentioned, uh, as we started this thing. Uh, um, after I got to the room, uh, I was still not ready to go to sleep. And I'm thinking, I just have a, just a few more little things to uh, take care of. And then I can publish episode 552, which is what I did yeah, uh, early in the morning. Okay. Oh. Coffee fund? Coffee fund, yes. Let me press that we button. We actually have a coffee fund since the last show. That's great. Yes. Here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Not sure what you're doing, Liz. <laughs> She's singing like an octave lower than I am, I think. Um, the coffee fund, Jeff Smith. What a great, uh, he's the jingle master uh, singing that for us. Um, Coffee Fund is your way to support us financially. Lots of ways to support us, sending in feedback, telling people about our show, etc. But another great way to support us is to uh, send us uh, some money, if you'd like, if you have the resources to do so. A couple different ways. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. Basically, it's the way to do like every once in a while kind of donations, or you can be a recurrent contributor like several of you out there do. Uh, So thank you very much. We received your recurring donations, and that's much appreciated. The other way is to become a patron of the show via Patreon, and we have a new executive producer. Yay. W. Ogden is uh, the executive producer level, and we do appreciate that. So if you want to become a patron of the show, uh, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. So we've only got three quick feedback items and then we'll wrap it up. All right. Captain, incoming message. Okay. Let's uh, start with this first bit of feedback from Robert in Tucker, Georgia. I think he does this on purpose, the way he signs his name at the end of these feedbacks, just to kind of trip me up. <laughs> it's not Robert Robert. Tucker. Not Robert Tucker. It's Robert in Tucker. I think we he should call him. He needs to live someplace that couldn't be misconstrued as his last name. He should. He needs to move. Right like now. Philadelphia. That's Cape a weird Canaveral. last name. <laughs> Okay, he says, unless unless I missed something when I read this, I can't see any specific procedure mentioned as an example. And he has a link to a simpleflying.com article. Uh, and he says, can the crew think of anything in particular by chance? Thanks, as always, for taking my feedback and Happy New Year. Now, I think hopefully we still have somebody in the uh, live audience that Some I think knows something about this of which we are about to speak. Um, Again, uh, this is from simpleflying.com. American Airlines Pilots Union concerned about flight deck protocol changes. The APA, which is their union, uh, American Pilots Association, I believe, or allied 
Pilots Association, um, has raised concerns about the new operation protocol given to American Airlines pilots. The union has stated that it does not oppose the protocol, but does oppose the way it has been presented to pilots. APA argues that the airline has failed to sufficiently train pilots on the new protocol, stating that it may lead to future safety hazards. Uh, the new protocol American Airlines has created for its pilots is designed to streamline in-flight operations between aircraft. American Airlines operates numerous aircraft types, each having its own in-flight protocols. Again, I'm not sure exactly what that's all about. Uh, pilots at American Airlines are assigned to specific aircraft type, which is the only aircraft type that they fly which is pretty much common with, within the airline industry. Pilots can choose to switch airframes if there is availability once they are at the airline. This requires them to undergo thorough training on the aircraft and its systems. It also requires them to learn new cockpit protocols specific to that aircraft. Um, these new procedures would have every pilot executing the same in-flight protocol. I think they're talking about checklists. That's what I'm guessing. Che checklists and probably standard operating procedures. Yeah, sorts. but I, 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 I kind of see this is yes. something that ACME has already done. And, and they're talking this, about fleet harmonization. Yeah. And so basically, so what has happened at ACME in the last several years is that if you operate in one type of airplane or another type of airplane, the checklist structures are almost identical. Now, obviously, there are going to be little differences here and there because not every airplane Nuances. is exactly the same, uh, but it's the same kind of a flow, a flow patterns and checklists and the way that you perform the checklist procedures and even the items on the checklist. So if you're deadheading on a different aircraft type that you don't fly, it, the checklist is going to sound really familiar to you. And I understand the the philosophy behind that. Um, so, um, and I'm so used to it now that it's like pretty common. Um, but I'm assuming that that's what they're talking about here. So, um, but you're right, Robert Tucker. Um, they 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 really don't state specifically. It's a lot of it's very it's vague, kind of vague protocols. You know. It's a lot of protocols. A lot of protocols going on here. Well-established best practices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know what's uh, what's going on either. I'm sorry, Robert. But I'm that's just my best guess. Uh, what do you I, think? I think you're correct Steph. on that. No, if you read through this and you kind of read between the lines, that's exactly what they're saying. They're looking to make as many things between fleet types as similar as possible. I don't think they'll be able to make everything exactly the same for the reasons Jeff was saying. Every aircraft's going to be a bit different, but the flow of how thing, things work the way checklists are structured i think you can standardize that to some degree yeah even you across can. fleet types you really can and honestly at least in my experience in the uh, part 121 airline world ever since i've been doing this now for over 34 years every i don't know how often every year every couple of years i guess whenever the new guy on, go, yeah. goes to flight operations um, management. Want to put his they want to kind of, yeah, make their mark and change something that even though, you know, we've been flying this airplane, like the 727, for instance, for decades, uh, not anymore, but, you know, back when we were still operating the thing, it's just like, really? I mean, we, we have to change the checklist again. I mean, it wasn't working okay the last 
40 years or whatever it is we've been flying this jet. It's just we like, must oh, always okay, strive to reinvent the wheel in the name the of wheel. progress. Yep. Yep. And modernization. Yeah. So and better. Yeah. More, more so doing to, things more better. I'm so used to the fact that every, every so often things are going to change. I mean, if you didn't tell me that, and, or I didn't experience the fact that, uh, you know, like being in somebody else's aircraft cockpit and hearing them do their checklist, I went, oh, yeah. That kind of sounds familiar to me. Uh, I see what they've been doing. I wouldn't know. So, to be anyway. fair, a lot of checklists kind of sound the same across the board because there's a way of doing things. <laughs> like, right. You know, if you got into a different car that wasn't yours, say you drive, you know, a lot of different rental cars or something, mm-hmm. the general order of operations is going to be you open the door, you get in, you sit down, you shut the door. Mm-hmm. Maybe you adjust the seat, put your mm-hmm. seatbelt on, figure out how to start the thing, select a gear. You might switch things up a little bit. Maybe you <laughs> adjust the seat after you put your seatbelt on or before you put your seatbelt on or, you know, or, maybe you do the mirrors before or after. Those things can be a little out of sequence, but mm-hmm. it's going to look roughly the same because that's how you operate a vehicle. The air- airplanes are the same way. I, and I'm sure you've ex- experienced this as well, but there was, I don't know how many years back, but they went. They made. They made that big change that to start start a car, you have to have your foot on the brake pedal. Mm. And I remember renting a car, <laughs> and I couldn't figure out how to start the darn car. I'm thinking, what is something's <laughs> wrong with me? I think <laughs> I have it. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I'm thinking, am I having a stroke? Why I'm turning it? Why? What is wrong? Why will the car? And then finally, you know, you pull out the. <laughs> The, the little driver's thing is go, you have to put your foot on the brake pedal. It's got to have pressure on the brake pedal before the, you know, the circuit. Wow. Okay. I will, I will just say if you're ever in a rental car and you can't figure out how to adjust the seat, mm-hmm. check for the controls on the door also. Ah, cause they're in, that's okay. definitely never gotten Not on the before. seat itself, but it's on. The, yeah. <laughs> I had to go back inside and explain that despite being a relatively educated person mm-hmm. and having operated many different motor vehicles, could not figure out how to adjust the seat of the car. <laughs> Actually, the last rental car that I rented, the start button, so there are a lot of them are push button now, mm-hmm. was on the steering wheel. Oh. Like on the front of the steering wheel. Oh. Like where you honk the horn? Just below it. Or oh, like, okay. Yeah, that doesn't seem odd. like a good spot. Not really, but you know. I always you try to remember to kind of like, even if it's not raining, but I'm thinking, well, there's a possibility I could be in a situation where I need to turn the windshield know wipers where they, on. Know where they are. And kind of, you know, and your kind lights. Of familiarize yeah. myself with the windshield wiper operation. And yeah, the lights and mm-hmm. other other things. But, uh, so there's, I mean, as a, as a corollary to this, what's actually aviation related, there are some days where I fly like three different aircraft types. Oh, yeah. Um, That's got to be confusing. It's not. You okay. know why? Because no. they all kind of function the same way. Hmm. And as long as you have that structure in mind... Um, and they're all different enough that when you get into one versus the other, you're not going to be confused. Hmm. Um, but across the board, the basic flow of things is very similar. Mm-hmm. So I can understand where they're going with this. Tim Van Ram is saying, I recall having to push start the car a few times. Lost on many today. Yeah, because most, mm-hmm. what, mm-hmm. I don't know what percentage of cars are actually manual uh, transmissions. I have one. I know you do, but you're a, a very <laughs> also, small you have to have minority. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and I, I've, you know, several cars I've had in the past, Tim, 
my Volkswagen Beetle, my um, BMW 320i. Um, they, you know, they both had manual trans and yeah, you had to know how to do a push start yeah. on those because, uh, otherwise you weren't, you may not get, get where you want to go. Um, yeah. And, Although mine's so fancy and electronic now, I actually don't know that that would work. Oh, you can't do it possible. with a manual wow. transmission. I'm wow. not sure if my 2021 manual hmm. transmission that actually has quite a bit of computer componentry to it would do I'm, it. I was always considered we'll that kind of sometime. a bonus because you know you oh, you, you have yeah. your your starter goes out. Right. You mm-hmm. go no problem. I don't need a stinking starter. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's move it on. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, Becky uh, says, "I Becky Roush, I just really enjoyed Nick's research on tires and maintenance procedures with with tires, and I think he subbed for Miami Rick really admirably. So thank you guys." I had a frustrating day at work, and after listening to Nick regale us on the details of tires, I felt completely revived. Wow. I think it probably had the opposite. <laughs> Was that I mean, sarcasm or most, not sarcasm? I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think really so either. I think she seems very genuine about this. She so. does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If I had a really frustrating day at work and then I had to listen to Nick Anderson I talk about okay. tires, I think I'd probably hang myself. But it's a little dramatic. I, no, okay, that's a little. I'm overdoing it a bit. <laughs> just a little slightly. Just a little. <laughs> not exaggerating by a lot, but just a little bit. Just slight exaggeration. Slight exaggeration. Last uh, but not least. Last not but last my bad. Last but not least, from Sam, uh, he says, uh, I, "Okay, you sent us a link, a YouTube video link to a uh, Dean Mart." Dean Martin, Ken Lane, and Foster slide? Brooks. Yeah, you can you can throw that up there. That's uh, we're not going to play because uh, I think, I think that they might yeah. object for us. But this a, is a classic, and if you're you're watching the video, you know what it is. And if you're not watching what the video, is it, Steph, tell them. Um, so it's uh, they come into the bar and general premises. They're discussing things and talking about being nervous about flying and drinking, and the one guy's the pilot and. <laughs> He's clearly basically using his drinks to study his nerves. Yeah, mm-hmm. as we do. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, he, they obviously comedy duo, they deliver it in mm-hmm. excellent, superb fashion. So if you have never seen it, it's highly worth funny. watching it. And we have a link to it in the show notes. And uh, so Sam says, I've loved these two since I was a kid. I was lucky enough to get Foster Brooks' signature on a Kino card at Vegas when I was seven, thanks to my mom. By the way, he had the nicest penmanship I've ever seen. Not shaky at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, of course, is funny because if you know Foster Brooks, I mean, his his signature act was just being a, a drunk. Mm-hmm. Sloshed. And, yeah, Quite being, shaky. Being sloshed. All right. That and that's it. brings us to the end of our show. And uh, thank you for, for hanging in there and listening with us. And um, uh, we thank our live audience as well. Again, it's just always so nice to see you all there and helping us uh, with things that we're talking about and then talking about things that have nothing to do with what we're talking about, but still entertaining. It's not distracting at all. Not distracting at all, no. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so we're going to tell you uh, quickly uh, as we wrap up the show to head over to our Facebook page, Airline Pilot Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's my job. No, wait a minute. We're going to go to AirlinePilotGuy.com, our website, and uh, lots of good stuff there. And let me see. I'm just going to go there myself just to kind of 
remind myself of all the just you like spending time goodness. There, I do like spending time there. I, I spend a lot of time in the, the back end of the website. Don't, do you? don't, Sounds, don't take that the wrong um, way. Wet <laughs> oh, compromising. <shoot>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could say so much, but I'm not oh, going to. Um, going. So we have a page of podcasts and uh, YouTube videos, uh, information about our crew, you know, a little bit of our backgrounds and uh, how we got here, etc. cetera. Uh, Plain Tales, a little more information about each yeah. of the pl- little amplification of the uh, individual Plain Tales. The APG Library, um, a place for aviation-related books. And uh, Tiffany, our librarian, handles that for us. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, information about the Coffee Fund, which we just mentioned not long ago. Uh, APG store, if you want to get a t-shirt or coffee mug or something like that, there, there's a, that opportunity for you. Uh, ways to contact us and our community calendar. And I think that's about it. So check it out, airlinepilotguy.com. And we're also on social media. And Steph's going to tell us about that. Now we're ready for Facebook. That would be facebook.com slash guy. Or head over to Twitter. We're at APG Crew, and you can find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. Also on Instagram, APG Crew, and apparently Nick has been putting artwork there, so I applaud him for that. Awesome. And um, if you really want to take things a step further, I think Hillel might also somehow be in Jeff's he always shower seems to be here. in he Burlington, see the and he'll tell you about Slack. Oh, don't look. Uh, can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. He's dripping wet. He's excited. Um, so come on over here. Tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Where's the soap? In the soap dish. Actually, it's getting harder and harder to find soap in mm. hotel rooms. They give really? you that that shower gel, bath gel uh, stuff, which yeah, I it's like do the not like. Dispenser yeah. on the wall, so you can't yeah, even like that, more, steal it and take it home. More and more of the places that I stay are I just have the dispensers built into the shower wall. And, mm. They smell good. Though. Me no like. Well, they they usually do so smell good. Yeah. All right, and uh, we also want to thank Liz Piper, our producer. Bring yourself in. Come on. You can come on in. Here she is. Yay, Liz. There she is. Thank you so much for all the work you do behind the scenes. I'd find enough stuff, but we almost made it to three hours there. That's amazing, isn't it? You're always worried, but. Yeah, I know, but it was only three days. Like, holy mackerel. But we do need feedback, everybody. We do need feedback. Mm -hmm. And burning uh, questions, things you just always wanted to ask but haven't gotten around to or felt like it was a good time. That was the time. Something that was said or anything. We'd love to hear. And we promise that when we read your feedback on the show, we won't laugh and make fun of you. That's what we we do behind the scenes. 
Yeah, yeah. That's part of our show prep. That's yeah, part of our show prep. <laughs> no, just kidding. We don't. I, I'm no, just we do kidding. not. Usually. Yeah. You're not. You're not, not. Most of the time. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, with that, uh, we're not sure when we're going to be doing this again next week, but we will. Trust us. We'll we'll be back. And I hope that you will as well. And with that, uh, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I got I